Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. Are you ready? (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by GuidedHypnotic.com. That's GuidedHypnotic.com. Are you feeling stressed out? riddled with anxiety and other non-resourceful emotions, then go to guidedhypnotic.com and download your free guided hypnotic meditation. So Mike Miles is the founder and CEO of Active Marketing, a marketing agency servicing the behavioral healthcare industry and the active CEO of ProGrowth, an affordable lead generation and marketing agency for startups and early stage businesses. In addition, Mike also acts as CEO and CTO for Marketing Optimizer, an SAAS marketing and lead management platform for small businesses. Mike is passionate about creating new businesses and helping guide them as they grow into a place where they are sustainable and scalable. ActiveMarketing.com. <laughs> so, holy crap, brother. It has been, uh, it's been a minute since we've, We've seen each other. Uh, yeah. I always look forward to going to the the events, the conferences where we originally met to to hang with you and connect with you and Carrie Poe and Desmond and yeah. everybody. What have you been up to? Man, you know, well, we haven't been to events in a while. Yeah. So, and it doesn't look like we're going to go to any event uh, soon. Hopefully, hopefully end of the year, uh, Active Marketing will be back and, and I'll go with. Um, you know, we've been, uh, we've been working on the business. I've been, I've been focusing on being a family man, mostly. Beautiful. So that's what I've been doing. I've been, you have three children. I have three children. I have a 14 year old girl, uh, a 12 year old girl and a six year old girl. (sighs) It's, it's busy. Yes. Yeah. I, we have one five-year-old and I can't imagine having three girls. Uh, although ours has like yours, I'm sure multiple personalities anyway. So you have, I'm sure a, uh, a bunch of, uh, conversations going on. Yeah. Yeah. All the time, all the time, a lot of different personalities. And, you know, I have, I've really enjoyed being home with my wife and my kids and I've really spent maybe the last two years, just focusing on family. Beautiful. I mean, I've been working, I've been working pretty hard. Yeah. You know, if you ask them, I work all the time, but, <laughs> um, but I could work so much more. Uh, I just prefer to, to be with my family as much as I can. So prior to the, you know, like we're dating these, this uh, broadcast, uh, prior to COVID, um, yeah. were you working from home already? Was that something yeah. that was, so yeah. that wasn't a big yeah. transformation for you? Not at all. Not okay. it, it. No, I had already been, I, I'm in and out of the office. I have, uh, with, with active marketing, um, which kind of leads everything that, that I do professionally, the, we have an office and everyone is remote, um, mm-hmm. because they all want to be remote. 
and and they have the option to come into the office and um, I stopped uh, kind of forcing people to come into the office on principle uh, a few years ago where it was like, no, we work better if we're all here. And what ended up happening is they all appreciated it and still came into the office. Interesting. They just wanted to be around each other, but now they didn't have to be. Ah, yes. It's interesting how sometimes that happens when uh, it's a choice. We make better ones sometimes when it's mandatory, we resist. Yeah. 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 And so at any given time, not now, not post COVID, Oh, you froze. Let's see, are you still? Where are you here? Hopefully you will make your way back. Let's see what's going on here on Facebook. Bobby, to do some edits. Ah, there you are. Yep. Okay, this this may have uh, been contiguous, so so we'll see here. I think it was. I think I was still on, just uh, ho humming awkwardly. Yeah, it happens. Just trying to narrate my my confusion. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we apologize for for that, and welcome back. What did I miss? Uh, to be honest with you, not much. Okay, uh, it was just me, just me talking. So nothing terribly important it, was, it wasn't profound um, you didn't no. solve the world's problems in the the last 20 seconds no we didn't get there yet oh oh yeah we still have time <laughs> no. um so i know we were talking about your uh, thing how you've pivoted i guess the way you've worked and that you made it yeah. optional to come in and then yeah. when it was optional they did uh, obviously yeah. now is a little bit different uh but as we backtrack a little bit I, i'd love to get even how you got into marketing specifically for the recovery field because that is a unique yeah. animal um but i do want to acknowledge uh one of the things that i loved about you before I even met you i always saw you and desmond um and for those desmond uh, white is your uh i guess partner your partner yeah. in there um, you always wore these, like you looked kind of like you branded, you had the gray suits, a white shirt and the red bow tie yeah. and always knew where you guys were. And you just had this really cool vibe about you guys. Like every time, every conference I went to before we got to know each other, it's like, man, those guys are badass. Look at them. You just can always tell they have such class, such style. Then, uh, we, we ended up meeting at that access one, I believe, right? Was that the first yes. one we ended up connecting? Yeah. And yeah with you guys and and i was like man you guys are brilliant you guys are focused you have great hearts like you're in it for the right reasons and just connected with you as humans but i just want to acknowledge your your branding prowess extends past your uh your internet marketing and yeah. so forth that you you get the the whole package yeah well thanks for that thanks for that yeah meeting you at axis was was pretty great we we hit it off right away and I think that was the first axis that I had been to. I mean, mm-hmm. we're looking at a few years back. And, and within a few hours of meeting you, we sat down and remember there's that lunch workshop and we wrote yep. the vision statements. Yep. And I actually used the vision statement uh, that we wrote there verbatim, like we back of the wow. napkin actually, right? And, and I actually used that, that we worked on together for Do you still years. have the napkin? I don't. I don't. Um, I, I know that I transcribed it shortly thereafter. Um, it, that would have been funny I if you had it like, mounted. Yeah, no, I'm afraid not. I'm afraid not. 
but uh, but we use that, and and so so in that way, you kind of in, indelibly left a mark on active marketing. I'm right, like a fungus. Right off the bat. So that was great. Was... <clears throat> so I got into I got into the addiction treatment market totally by accident. I first of all, let's go back to how I named the business. I named the business Active because when I formed the business, Yellow Pages were a thing. Mm. And I wanted to come up at the top of the list and I didn't want to be a one or aardvark or something dumb like that. So I chose active internet marketing. I thought it was a good acronym yeah. and we've since dropped the internet cause we do a lot of brand work and a lot of print work now. So, so we're just active marketing now, but back then it was active internet. Aim. Marketing. Yeah. Aim. Exactly. And people called us aim for a long time. Um, so, but then we got confused with AOL instant messenger Oh yeah. And there was no chance of me ever getting the domain name. So yep. <laughs> yeah, that was always depressing. So I got a call from a guy who owned a bad car loans website network uh, for people with bad credit and they wanted to get a car loan. He owned a, a network of websites. And so he hired me and I worked for him through the yellow pages and turns out that he was, uh, had a, had a pretty serious problem with substance abuse and and one of his best friends was um, that he he used to you know party with and 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 spend time with went through treatment and started his own treatment center and and so that guy referred me to his friend who was now um, I don't know how many years sober but he was doing very well he owned a, a treatment center. And, and that was my first, uh, he was my first whale and my big first big account. And it was my first account in addiction treatment. And what ended up happening was people that worked for that account, um, he, he grew to several hundred beds and people, uh, people would leave his organization and go to other organizations and take up, take me with them. Well, it, it, back then it was really just like me and a couple of assistants and then it became me and a staff over time. But um, next thing you know, I'm not doing any sales, right? I, I have, there's no prospecting at all on my end for the agency at all, uh, much to my own detriment. And there was, there was no real marketing going on. I'd never been to a conference. I'd never done anything other than yellow book or, you know, or the yellow pages. And, and those were even starting to kind of be like, what's the point anymore with the internet. And next thing you know, all of my clients because of this word of mouth were addiction treatment. And I started to realize that I kind of love it because the people in the addiction treatment industry are different. They're not the same at, there is, there is a humility kind of built in because everyone, it used to be the case. It's not anymore. Now you have, you know, hedge funds in the business right, yeah. and, and people who are, have no, they have no direct link or emotional uh, link to the industry. But when I first started, Everyone in the industry was in recovery. Everyone. Yeah. And, and people who are in recovery, from my point of view, not being in recovery, um, are a lot 
sometimes a lot more down to earth. They've got more therapy than most people ever do. Yeah. Right. They've done more introspection and more taken a real look at who they are than most people, than, you know, the average population ever would. And, and there's also this humility that's built in with like, yes, I used to, I used to have this behavior and I don't anymore, but there, there was something about me that I didn't like, and I will admit it. Well, and also what I found is that people who um, were successful enough in their addiction to need treatment, meaning they got really good at getting their access to their drug of choice and all of that are, I mean, some of the most creative um, focus driven people that when they take that energy and they put it towards something really good, they can help so many more people because they've got already success formulas yeah. built in that creativity, that compassion, that understanding, that ability to, to communicate and, yeah. and a generally, you know, for the most part there, because we're all human, have a desire to, to help and make a big difference. So yeah, yeah beautiful. Yeah. And so I fell in love with that. Yeah. I, and you know, we're not selling TVs, right? It's not, it's not like we're just selling things that, you know, we're not, it's not shoes, right? We're, we're actually selling something that is, and even selling it, when, when I say the word sales in the addiction treatment context, it almost doesn't feel right. But the, the services that we are uh, communicating to the market, right? Which is the fundamental purpose of marketing is just to take the, take the message to the market. Um, it, it's life or death, right? So, yeah. so some people m might not ever find a treatment center that was right for them, if not for the work that active marketing does, right? I mean, I know there are other agencies that can of do course. it, but, but we are doing it and, and I feel like it's a good thing. Well, and you got into it, uh, what year? Well, I, I think we took our first uh, addiction treatment client in 04. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. and you started out, you're in Michigan, right? Yeah. Was that where the center was? And then you expanded yeah. from there? Yeah, we were in Northern, we're in, I'm, I'm still in Northern Michigan. And, uh, and our, so it started in Southern Michigan and then, but now we don't have any clients in Michigan. All of our <laughs> clients are in California and Florida and Colorado you know, none in Michigan. Michigan has horrible insurance, so it's impossible. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, interesting. That's it. some of these questions for some may be a little, you know, we'll, we'll get into the weeds a little bit around addiction. And for some that, you know, I don't, I don't want to warn people, but kind of code alert that there may be some questions that people didn't understand, but I think it's instructive and helpful that people really get how complex the treatment field is and how, you know, really well-meaning people may have created some problems in marketing, how things are languaged, how things are promoted. Because like you said, there are a lot of people who may not have known or were ready to get treatment. And how do you get those people who are complative, like complicated, like, like, Oh, maybe I need help. Maybe I don't. Um, and then things got really complex in the last five years or so when Google started getting involved, the government started getting involved, the bad actors started getting, you know, sort of uh, called out. 
So mm-hmm. when was the first time that you noticed like, uh-oh, there's going to be some regulation? There's, and how did you pivot when perhaps some of the old ways of doing, doing business started getting challenged? Yeah. So the, the, the big switch was um, for me in my head when I, when I started going to conferences and the, the first conference that I went to, I was invited by uh, James Gordon, uh, who used to work for a billing, Benny Vance billing company. They're long gone, but he became a, a close friend of mine. And I realized when I got to the conference that a good portion of the profits that some treatment owners were making was lab money. It was, they were kickbacks from labs for referring their lab business to the lab, right? So people come into treatment, then I'll just kind of explain this for people who might not know. They, uh, people who are seeking treatment would arrive at treatment and during the treatment process, will have to take uh, urine analysis, drug screenings. And the companies that do the drug screenings get paid by the insurance companies for those drug screenings. And the treatment center is not allowed to uh, be paid by, uh, they can't get a commission for the prescription of these drug screenings because it's a healthcare test, right? But what was actually happening in many cases was that the, the lab companies were paying uh, basically commissions to the treatment centers uh, for the referral of their drug screening uh, services to this company. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was really big money. And that when I saw how much money that was, it, it wasn't even the ethics of, of, oh, they shouldn't refer to this company and get a kickback. It wasn't the ethics that really astounded me because I know that people are unethical in every industry. There's, right, there's yeah, always people who, yeah. will, who will sacrifice ethics for money. What, what I knew was going to cause a change was the amount of money that the insurance companies were paying for a simple drug screening. When I saw that some people were getting thousands of dollars, some organizations were getting a couple thousand bucks for a urine test, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, So so that's when I really was like, okay, things are definitely going to change. And when that happens, I realized that some of the money that people were spending in marketing was coming from that. Mm. Right. That's where, right. So that, that was creating more margin for the treatment centers. And, and there were some treatment away. centers that would invest like a, upwards of a million dollars per month in marketing, yes. Yes. Um, which is, you know, which is obviously a, a huge um, investment. And if that was being supported by the UA um, process, yeah. you could tell that that would certainly have a, an impact. Absolutely. Right. It's when you, cause advertising is essentially uh, an auction. You buy ad spots wherever they are. And when there's more demand, the price goes up. Well, when you have a company that's, that can afford to spend a million dollars a month and still make a huge profit after they spend the million, 
well, the, I mean, the cost of advertising across the board goes up and, and some of the smaller players just did not have the ability to compete in that market. Well, and not to go too down the, the, the rabbit hole in that conversation, the ability for treatment centers to make that kind of money, that's what created a lot of the bad actors because then, especially in Florida, where there's very little regulation, which was beautiful because it helped, it helped get people help, right? Right away. If someone had a heart, they go, boom, let's open up a center. Let's open a halfway house. But yeah. then addiction shows up in many ways next thing you know you've got a halfway house starting out good intentions hey i know you don't have any money your insurance company um you know we don't take insurance your family doesn't have any money tell you what just give us two uas a week and you know we'll let you live here for free they're making a couple thousand bucks a week justifying again well-meaning at the time and the next thing you know they're making you know some large you know bits of income and then that becomes their new normal Um, new addiction, which is unfortunate uh, because it did implode on itself. And it It did. Yeah. And we were, we, that's, you know, I was working in the industry at that time in South Florida, in Delray beach, sort of at the epicenter of all of that. Um, Now, you know, we were a good, you know, we were, we were always on the up and up. We didn't do any, you know, any of the brokering or any of that, but uh because of our location and because of all of that, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that can be made. Um, and I'm sure for you, what kind of assumptions did maybe people come around for you around the idea of marketing for the treatment world? Oh, well, I mean, I can tell you uh, a story uh, about when Carrie, my wife uh, was, she, she was uh, in a, a breakout session at a conference and there was a, a speaker who specifically called her out because for no other reason than she is a marketer and there should be no marketing in addiction treatment. People should actually go to treatment centers, show up and tour the facility and that's that's the way that they should find treatment. Now, obviously that's ridiculous because how would you know where to even find a treatment center? Right. Where would, where would you go? (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You wouldn't even know that a treatment center existed if it wasn't for marketing. Right. You'd have to drive by it, I guess, but they couldn't have a sign because where do you draw the line? Right. Right. Cause yeah. yeah. (sighs) People think that because we work on, uh, the, the branding work, um, you know, the, the most common misconception is that branding is just a logo, right. but nobody thinks that it's an unethical practice. And when we get into the print work, nobody thinks print work is an unethical practice. But once we get into the digital stuff, when you start to talk about if you, if you advertise on social, then there's a privacy and moral privacy issue that is always uh, a, a tough conversation. And if you go with organic search, well, there's this kind of thought that anyone who, everyone in that industry is, uh, is in some way going to try to, you know, swindle you, right? Right. Um, that, and, but that's not, that's not addiction treatment. That's just kind of, that's all industries that regardless of the industry, people tend to have this, this thought that 
that those of us who are in the the business of of helping you gain organic search traffic that we are not capable of doing it and and we know it and we're still taking money which isn't the case we we do know what to do and and it works but there's a you know i mean there's a there's definitely a, a thought process out there not as much anymore but but it's still there so how did you deal with because that happens in two ways because then when congress got involved and changed the sort of the rulings of predatory marketing that yeah. you know once um someone with addiction got labeled as uh disabled now you're running the risk of predatory marketing to people who are suffering from mental challenges and, and their decision-making process. How did yeah. you navigate that? Because that, I know when I was, the, the, I was running the marketing for Palm or parts of it, it, it became a whole new conversation on how you even approach people at this because it's like we're offering help. How can we not appear predatory if we're offering someone who needs help who's diagnosed disabled because they need the help? Uh, so, so I focused on two things. I focused on the, the legal exposure to my clients and um, I took the advice of their counsel if they had one or, um, uh, and I took the advice of my counsel, uh, which would be secondary because if I'm working on their business, it's their counsel that needs to, to make the decisions. Um, and I did what I felt was right. I don't care what Congress thinks. I mean, right. Uh, no, of course, but it, it's exposure. more of like the legal. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really that's the, where, where that came from. I was just sharing yeah. the motivation behind yeah. some of the rulings. So, so for me, I, uh, I didn't, if, so, so Congress would come out with these laws, but then there, or they're not, I don't even think that they actually passed many laws, right? They had a lot of conversations and there was a, there was a lot of conversations and, and some, some things were done, but rarely enforced and never fully understood. And which is kind of the way of it. Well, where it got ugly was when Google followed suit. Yeah. So you have to do what Google says if you want to be on Google, right? right? So, um, you know, there, and now Google has this certification process through a company called Legit Script, which was the biggest windfall ever for that little company. Yeah. All of a sudden, now they got Facebook too. It's just an amazing win for them. Kudos. Um, but the, the process for getting certified by Google is... Um, and we've helped some clients through that. Um, the but is that a separate business that you have, like a, a, another vertical in there, or is it part of if if they're a client need it that you help them get it? I mean, I guess it, they need it in order for you to do their work anyway. Yeah, yeah. So if it, we don't do much paid search work anymore, um, right. but the but we we will pretty regularly help our clients. Um, it, it's just through active marketing. Um, we have, to, it's not that it is a, it's something that we, you know, put together a, a formal process for internally and productized separately. It's just something that our clients need and we know how to get through the process and know what communication, because we've been through it a few times 
And so um, it's something that, that we offer to them. And, and honestly, my partner has taken, taken the reins on that most of the time. And um, it, it's just something that we help them with. It's not something where we would say, you know, we're absolute experts in this. Um, but most people come in not knowing anything. And so at right. least we, we can point them in the right direction and, and, and help them through the process. But it, there's, a, there's a lot of paperwork involved. Oh, yeah. And it, I don't know whether that's for, I don't know if that's, if that's made much of a difference in the industry. Um, to be honest with you, when I look at the, when I look at the people who are advertising now, it's, it's different companies, different websites, but it's the same people. Hmm. Right. Well, so, was it easier for them to maybe re like start over rather than to go back and then get compliant? Cause I, I know some of the issues was were compliance issues again, like, you know, yeah. all regulations. So yeah. they, you know, rather than going into like with a fine tooth comb to go through all of their old websites to make sure that they were compliant. It's like, yeah, let's just build a new one. So we don't have those little things that slip through the cracks. Yeah. Well, it, it was, so they, these people mostly owned treatment centers anyways. Right. So, so they had a treatment center and then they had a website that was just for lead gen and they would take this website that was just for lead gen and they would drive traffic to it through Google's paid ads. Well, then Google said, okay, you can't do that. You have to be legit script certified and we will not certify one of these lead generation websites. So they said, okay, fine. I'll just advertise my treatment center and any of the extra leads that I get for my treatment center, I'll just refer out quid pro quo treatment center that I have a great relationship. I mean, the quid pro quo is clearly not stated in any formal way, of course, but right. But they well, just refer out and get and fill up their treatment center then. To, to be fair, you know, again, this goes back to well-meaning people. If someone needs help and we can't help them, Let's find someone who can. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I agree with you completely. So there is, and, and there's such gray areas around it. And I, I will say having, coming from first music industry, then uh, personal development, I had no idea how different this industry was from any other industry, how unique it is, how it has, while it is a very small industry, um, and everybody sort of knows each other. It is a very unique language, unique process. Um, dealing with mental health issues and the complexities of all of that is is incredible, and it's not an easy thing. And I, you know, one thing that I also really appreciate about you and what you do and how you deliver is that you are a branding agency, a marketing agency, not a commodities dealer. So meaning you, you're not just creating, you know, tons of calls, you're creating qualified calls, you're creating an uh, identity. So people build a relationship with the treatment center, which probably served you tremendously when all this happened, because there were probably a lot of people going, oh no, our old strategy wasn't working. Now we need your level of expertise to, you know, create that brand market. Yeah, I, it, that's, that's really what happened is it became so much more difficult and they, there were more laws passed that just made it so that people couldn't do some of the things that they were doing. Many of them not unethical, in my opinion, right? but illegal nonetheless. And I can see, I can, you know, it's debatable either way and I don't, you know, uh, 
I'm, I think I'm, I'm like you, Doug, where it's like, if you're going to save somebody's life, all the rest is just details. So as an example, um, one of the ways that uh, we had done some business with Palm is we had, we would write articles and so forth on Suboxone and, and that kind of thing. And um, there was some, you know, gray area where we would have, you know, like people looking for Suboxone doctors, like, like we would provide yeah. that. And one of the guys who ended up working for me for years and still to this day is great friends. He's like, if that, if I, that's how I found the treatment center was I was looking for a Suboxone doctor. I ended yeah. up talking to one of the marketers and, and we did this. If you, if we couldn't like give you the opportunity to come to check out treatment, we would provide a Suboxone resource. But first step is question, you know, there are other options here. And, right. and he said, if it wasn't for that, he goes, I'd be dead because that was the call that I decided that I'd give treatment a try. And, yeah. and then he ended up working for the treatments and working for us and working and he's, he's, he's doing amazing that now it would be an illegal practice. It, right. Right. So you have to just kind of think, um, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who thinks that you do something wrong. Right. For, oh no, so we don't right well, end, I don't work there anymore, but, right. <clears throat> but there are, there are, there are nuances to all of it that, that some of them, okay, you shouldn't do it. Some of them, it's like, well, it's really in like referrals. They're, the referring to people, it, whether you refer to someone only because they're going to refer back to you, or did you refer to them because that's the best choice for the patient? That is all in the heart of the person doing the referring. Right. And you can't legislate that. So in any case, uh, that, is, that has been, the, the regulations have been a big change. The other, the other really big change in addiction treatment was the ADA. Uh, no, Obamacare. Right. Yeah, the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, Affordable Care not Act, the Disabilities ADA. Act. Yeah. The Affordable Care Act. Right. <laughs> yeah. So now everybody's going in network. Well, and so it was very interesting how some of your clients, were they uh, out of network that are, that it was a game changer, I'm sure. Were they able to get in network or? Most of our clients are trying to get in network. Um, they, you know, every, it used to be that all of our clients were out of network. Yeah. All well, those them. are the ones who had, they had more budget because yeah. they, they just, they had a whole different, you know, structure. Now they're kind of thinking, well, uh, better to have a full facility and take a little bit less. And so they're, they're going in network. And how's that much across the board? Yeah. Is yeah. that part of the marketing strategy as well? Like, is there a, um, a benefit to you when they go in network as far as how you promote and what language you can use? Does that change anything? Not really. No, it's still all the same. We still try to, we, we try to, to talk about what makes that treatment center better and different. Mm -hmm. Um, and not just say the same things that everybody else says, because then it's a commodity again, right? If you right. say, Oh, well, we've got customized care. Yeah. Well, so does everybody else, right? We, you know, so, um, so we still we still are just trying to promote the things that make a, a company different and 
and kind of just plant our flag on that. And go ahead. Well, I say, how do you, being that you're, you're specializing in the treatment world, I, I imagine, because I know I got some pushback on this from some people, was that you market for competitors. So if, yeah. how do you navigate that when people are like, well, they already do it for, like I see it as a benefit. I see it as, man, like my attitude is, well, you're figuring it out. You already know all the ins and outs and you're going to help everybody across the board. Um, yeah. How do you approach or do you get that pushback anymore? Uh, we don't get that pushback very often because most people, um, I, well, you, you have the choice, right? You can go with somebody who doesn't work in the treatment industry and then you have to teach them everything and they still would be less than beginner level. Yep. Um, and you wouldn't, and they wouldn't be working for any of your competition. So you can check that off the list or you could have someone who is working for a treatment center that you might consider your competition. They might actually be your competition, but we know about the industry so well, we know more about the industry than half of our clients do. Yep. Now there's the other half of our clients who are absolute experts and we don't claim to be experts in anything clinical, but when it comes to the running of a treatment business, um, we don't, we don't really need our clients to teach us. They just need to tell us what levels of care they provide, uh, where they are, what insurance they take, whether it's in network or out of network. Um, you know, just kind of the basics and, and we, and then it, we don't need to know anything more from, uh, from a nuts and bolts perspective. And then we can get into things like, okay, what makes you different? You do yoga, but how much yoga you do, you have music therapy, but is that really your focus? Right. And then we get to find things that make them a little bit different, which is hard to do when, you know, everything is paid for by line items on an insurance claim. Right. Of course. So what, like when you're doing an onboarding, what kind of uh, questions are you looking for that create the, the niche as it were, the, what separates each treatment center? Um, yeah. How do you go through that? Do you have a, you know, like an avatar building conversation? Yeah. So we actually, uh, in the onboarding, we get into some of that and it, it normally comes out just through conversation. We'll, we'll ask the questions like, do you, what levels of care do you provide? Uh, you know, and they'll say, okay, well, detox, res, PHP, IOP, OP, you know, and they'll go through the list of whatever they provide. And, um, you know, they'll say, okay, well, we only serve women or we're, we have an executive uh, program. We ask about the modalities that they use. And then we talk about it. We just have a conversation with them about it um, and, and learn. It's, it's learning more about their, the heart of the business than it is about the, um, the logistics of mm -hmm. the business, right? Like you, you may have a Reiki practitioner on staff, but does, is that really what you're about, right? Is that the direction that you want to go? Or maybe, maybe you have a, a, a physical fitness component and for some, for some centers, the physical fitness component is what it's all about, right? right. That's, that's their thing. For others, they have a gym, but it's not what they're all about. So we have to have a conversation with them about, you know, what, what really makes you tick? What fires you up? Where do you, where do you want the business? How do you want to be known? It makes me think of, um, it's, I don't know, it's an obscure reference I'm going to make right now. Uh-oh. 
wet, hot American summer 10 years yeah. later. Did you see it? So <laughs> I have not seen it, but I, I'm aware of the movie. Of the movie, yeah. So they, they, <laughs> great movie. And then they did a, a prequel and a sequel. So like, okay. you could, but anyway, at one point uh, she makes a comment about how they're selling, you know, she's selling the camp because all of these new camps are coming out, but they're specific. There's the gymnastic camps, the space camp, the photography camp, the ice, you know, like yeah. all of these, you know, kind of niche camps. Are you finding that more and more in treatment that it, organizations are finding it even more important to niche down in something like that, like the music, the workout, the, you know, the Reiki, the, all of the woo-woo-y kind of approaches. And then- yeah insurance plays a huge role in that, especially if you go in network. So then how are they, you know, like able to promote yet also deliver based on insurance requirements? So um, I like it so much when organizations do niche like that, mm -hmm. um, that maybe, maybe I see them more than I see other treatment centers. But, you know, it's kind of like when, as soon as you buy a car, you realize that they're all over the road. Right. But you yeah. never noticed one until then. Yep. Um, it, it, it might be kind of like that. I, th I think in general, uh, there are not enough treatment centers that really say this, we're this, you know, we're a photography treatment center. Right. The, I mean, there, we actually had a client that was a golf treatment center. There you they, go. Their, their thing was golf. You come in and you, you know, and there are some that are marijuana based now. Mm -hmm. that where you come in and, and the whole thing is just built around the cannabis culture. Well, we're having next week, uh, Dr. Barry from recovery unplugged, which is okay. uh, music, right. And they, yeah. they, and they are hardcore music into it. Like I, yeah. I've been to some of their events that they have and it, it is, it's, it's music centric, not that they don't do the other work, but that is a huge thing. Yeah. I love that. I think that's better for everyone. It's better for their business. And for those people who, who that's a good fit for, if, if that's a good fit for you, then it's perfect. Then you should go. And if it's not a good fit, then don't. But there's plenty of people who that's a fit for. Right. Well, how often do you have that happen as well? Like I, I when I'm doing business consulting or I, you know, like doing working with entrepreneurs and that kind of thing, it's a little pet peeve of mine when I go to a networking event and someone be like, oh, what do you do? And, you know, and be like, oh, real estate. Okay. Uh, who's your ideal client? Like, who do you, ah, anybody, you know, if they, they're looking for a house. I'm like, okay, so now I don't know who to send to you because I can't send you everybody because I have friends, I have investors, they want a certain thing. I have, you know, first time buyer friends and I have yeah. like people who want luxury. And I know you want the luxury, but I'll tell you what, if you don't specialize in the luxury, they ain't going with you. Um, you know, right. investors are going to want a, an investor friendly real estate agent, not, you know, so there's, yeah. so it's just, how many times do you sometimes have that where the treatment center is like, well, we'll take, we'll take your money. So we cover everything. Most of the time. Okay. <laughs> Most of the time. And so then I kind of have to talk them down off their own ledge right. and, but at the same time, not be condescending, but it's like, okay, so everyone, all right, well, who has the most success Okay, who, if you could pick somebody and just bring that person in, who would it be? Or, you, or sometimes you just have to say, okay, well, you're, you're, you can't be for everyone because then you're for no one, yeah. right? 
And the, the biggest pushback that I get is, well, we don't want to turn anyone away. If you know, because they're all struggling, there are more beds than there are patients to fill them. So this is so interesting when you say that, and, and you probably have a great read on this because you're not coming from a clinical perspective. This is actually just looking at the, the, the getting them in. Yeah. There are more people that need it than there are beds. But they're not shopping for it, and they don't have insurance. Got it. So, so if, you that's... Take, if, if you take the people who are, who are in active addiction or, um, or need help, if you take that group of people that, that could benefit from treatment and then you take out everyone that doesn't have the means to pay and you take out all the people who aren't looking anyways, they don't even want help. Yeah. What you're left with is a group of people that is a, far smaller than the number of beds that are available. Interesting. Um, so how do you then navigate when – because uh, like in fairness, I've seen people for lack of a better word, almost advertising free treatment, um, yeah. which gets the phone to ring, but then, you know, it becomes a vetting process. So do you have, obviously I know the way you work, so you, you don't, you don't do stuff like that. I know we've had these conversations about the, you know, yeah. commodity versus branding and, and so forth, but what can we do or what do you see people doing for those people who don't have insurance? And do you have any clients that take Medicaid or Medicare or any of that, but then they're probably not making a whole lot of money to be able to yeah. afford marketing. It's, you know, it's like catch 22. Yeah. So they don't, we, if, if they're taking Medicare and Medicaid, uh, if, if they're any like federal money, um, they don't need us. They're full. Okay. Fair enough. They're full. So we don't have much that we can do for them. I mean, if, if you already have a waiting list, you don't, need to, you don't need to waste money on marketing that you could invest in clinical services. Right. Um, I guess maybe in, uh, well, I mean, you would ha you'd want to take that money and expand, I guess. That would be the best thing that you could do. But um, when you talk about people who don't have any means at all, sometimes uh, you'll have some organization scholarship them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not, uh, that's pretty rare. I, I mean, it's not rare that a, an organization, that a treatment center would scholarship someone, but it's pretty rare that they would. Um, it, it, it's pretty rare when you look at the total population. It's a small, small portion. Well, I mean, it's not sustainable as well. You know, again, yeah. back to, I mean, we, we, we always had scholarships going on. Um, and we also scholarshiped a lot of days. I think, you know, we averaged, I think it was, it was like two to 300 days a year of scholarship days that, you know, we would, if someone was being, you know, their insurance ran out or whatever, we'd let them stay for another week or two or what have you. So that, you know, we're not, because just because insurance said that you're better doesn't mean that we believe you are. So right. we'll keep you on. And, and we had, yeah. it was several hundred days a year that we had on that. Um, but yeah, it was always tough because, it's still a business and that's what's so unfortunate that there's a negative association. Like a regular doctor doesn't get, um, you know, admonished because they have a nice car and a nice house and, 
and so forth, you know, a heart doctor, right? But you see a treatment center and they helping people worse off than someone who has a heart challenge is much more challenging work anyway, not to minimize or diminish the work of a heart doctor, but it's apples and oranges. So it's not really a fair comparison, but it's like, oh, that jerk, oh, oh, look at all the money they're making. Yeah. You know, I was like, well, they're helping, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people a year and saving lives on a regular yeah. basis and putting a huge risk up. It's, it's just, it's unfortunate that, you know, the whole industry gets a bad name and there are bad actors and not, you know, there are people just like any industry. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's unfortunate that the whole industry has such a stigma and people who struggle with addiction are stigmatized. I think that's the bigger issue because most people don't know about treatment centers, right? They, I mean, if I talk to my family or my friends, they'd, they don't know if that treatment is dirty or clean or, you know, Fair noble. Or, Only, I guess, when Megyn Kelly did that story or whatever, that was the first time yeah. that there was some exposure to it. And then, of course, the only exposure is, oh, that's what that's like. Okay. Oh, it's just like yeah. what I thought about the treatment, people who struggle with addiction in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the real problem is the stigma on the, the people who are suffering from substance right. use disorder. And, um, it is real. Like it is a big deal. People are, and honestly, they should be afraid that if they come forward and say, okay, I actually need some professional help. You know, I got prescribed pills however long ago and got addicted immediately. My doctor did not warn me or provide me with any plan to help me out of this. Now I have to go find somebody to get some help. I'm going to get a professional that knows how to help me with this. If you do that, you should be afraid because people are going to call you a junkie. They are going to think that it's not everybody. Some people will be very supportive, but there are going to be people out there that will admonish you and, and attack and you have to be prepared. Well, and right now, you know, the, the first thing, and I, I, I'm sure you're already experiencing some of this and utilizing some of the opportunity to help. Um, as <clears throat> soon as COVID and that started, Heidi and I were both like, ooh, this yeah. is going to be interesting for people who are stuck at home, perfect storm. They're yep. people who, you know, maybe they had a, a moderate drinking challenge, but now they could drink during the day. Now, all of a sudden, no, there's, you know, then now you have abusive. So we were like, you know, like obviously domestic abuse, child abuse, relapses, addiction, all that is going to go through the roof and we're starting to see it. And it was really disturbing and still is, is how little attention is being put on that and, and no preparation, no opportunities for advice, no resources given. And it's, you know, it's really sad because it's, I guess, you know, that doesn't sell news yet. You know, we have other stuff that is going to be, you know, more valuable. So more yeah. valuable to the news agencies. So for you, what have you found in opportunity to expose people to opportunities to get help based on this? You know, have you seen an uptick? All right. Because I think rehab.com, you know, Tim Ryan and Jennifer Jimenez, do you know them? I don't. I'll introduce you to them. Um, But they're part of rehabs.com. And uh, they said it was like a 250% increase in uh, inquiries. Yeah, that is surprising to hear because uh, the, the, 
the overall search traffic and search volume and uh, it has been trending down and is still kind of below below the level where it, it would be. We're seeing we're seeing that traffic is um, is still arriving at many websites um, and the traffic is now kind of rec- as as COVID kind of slows down and the lockdowns uh, kind of unlock a little bit. Um, we're starting to see the traffic come back up and we're st- but with the traffic going down also were phone calls went down. Right. And <clears throat> I mean, the research that we've done uh, has shown that it has not been great for most uh, treatment centers when it actually comes to getting people to come into treatment, they've been scared. Um, well, and, and also wasn't there some that based on, excuse me, based on, uh, staffing and then requirements, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera, that they couldn't handle as much as they would like. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we saw was a lot of, uh, especially, well, only the outpatient, uh, offerings going telehealth. Right. And so that some, some organizations were quick to move on that. Uh, some were, were already poised to really make a push. They, were, they already had all the infrastructure in place right. and just, ne- just needed kind of a kick in the pants to, to actually get after it. But um, So for you, for the telehealth, was that helpful, meaning as an opportunity that you could get direct treatment? a lot quicker yeah. than having to go through, you know, all the different yeah. processes necessary. Yeah. Um, I think it's like remote work. I yeah. think people want it. Yeah. Right. Some people will want to come in and sit in a group, probably not during a pandemic. Right. But the, regardless of if there's laws that prevent it or not, most people aren't going to want to be around a bunch of strangers. So, um, And I think going forward, you know, they relaxed all the laws for telehealth across the board, all of health. And uh, if, if they would listen to me, (laughs) they would, they would not, uh, they would not take that ability away. They would allow uh, healthcare organizations to continue to see people um, virtually. That's going to be really interesting to, to see in um, efficacy, over time, because um, yeah. the pendulum always swings, right? And and there's a, it's easier to phone something in, literally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, it, it's one thing when you're going in and you have the potential testing, or you could see the person, and oh, something doesn't look right, and you know, kind of really get them on, you know, a conversation and maybe help them. But the next thing you know, oh, ksh, oh no, the internet's gone down. Oh, you know, and the next thing you know. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And we're in a brave new world. All of this yeah. is so interesting because um, so many businesses are literally phoning it in. This technology we're using right now, you know, I used to do this. I used to have people come in when I was at the treatment at Palm. We had a studio and we, we would do a three camera shot and we would have people come and do the interviews in person, uh, yeah. which was limiting because we had to have the person available. So when they come speak at the center or, you know, local people, but this has certainly expanded and it still allows for a different, it's, it's different. Yeah. Um, and we're conditioning people for it for good or for bad. Well, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, having showing up in person where, uh, where your provider can look at you, see the color of your skin, look at, you know, actually examine your, your physical person. 
that's better. I, I don't think there's any question that that is a, a, a better healthcare outcome is going to come from, from being in person, but uh, maybe it's not always required. Agreed. Oh no, I'm, I'm not suggesting not to have yeah. it. I'm suggesting that there's a hybrid. Yeah. Right? Like I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. We do seminars like Heidi and I, that's what we were speakers. We held events, we have firewalks yeah. and glass walks and hour breaking incorporated into all of it. And there's, you know, interactions that occur and then you come and you hang out and you do our hybrid group calls and, and all of that, which is a great mix. But yeah. with, without the live interaction, it's, it's kind of, I mean, like at the end of the day, which is better having sex or watching it? You know, like I'm, I tend to go for the having it. Yeah. That's better. Yeah. yeah. So I've experienced both. <laughs> right. And so it's just, it's one of those things like, ah, oh, man, like, you know, out of the state, so many things, what's so interesting about people. And I know you experience this in marketing. Everyone's looking for the quickest, easiest, least expensive way to get things done. And oftentimes that does not yield the best results. As a matter of fact, probably most of the time it does not yield the best results. That's right. And, and there's the challenge. Therein lies a challenge. I'm sure you have that conversation with your, you know, your clients when they go, well, let's do it this way. And, and that, doing it that way costs like half as much. And you're like, yeah, but it gets a, a quarter of the results. So now you're actually losing all ways around. Yeah. But then they're like, yeah, but it's half the money. We, we deal with that all the time with people who say, oh, well, I can get, I can get the same thing for a hundred bucks. Well, on paper, when they describe the service, we'll create a brochure for you, right? $100. Or you go to the print shop. I can, get, I can get my print shop to do a brochure. Well, yeah, you can. And, and you'll end up with a trifold. And we might provide you with the trifold too. But the, the difference is pretty significant in the design and, and in the messaging. Like it's, it's pretty significant. If you were to hold them up, hold them up to almost any lay person, you could see the difference and it would be very clear which one is superior, but people tend to shop for everything. Like it's a commodity, right? Like, Oh, well, uh, you know, a car is a car. I can get it. Why would I pay 50,000 for a car when I can get one right over here for 20,000 bucks? Yeah. Same car. They're both cars. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of, of that, you know, quality versus quantity versus all of that, now that the industry has shifted so much in, you know, like live events, yeah. um, you know, the conferences where, where we met, like I, I love going to them and speaking at them and, and all of that. Um, how has that changed some of the approaches that you run? Oh, well, it has changed uh, completely. So instead of now using networking in the, in the kind of traditional old school sense where you go up and shake hands, which now we're going to be what, bumping elbows or fist bumps. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I still want to shake hands. So I, it's going to be tough for me. So it's kind of a tangent. Have you had that? Like how locked down are you? So are you able to go out much? Yeah. I'm, we're able to go out now. Great. Yeah. So the first time that we started going out, we were in Florida, so it's been pretty lax anyway. But then when we started yeah. holding a, you know, like actually like tonight, we have a networking event. Tonight is our first live networking event. And then Thursday, oh, another awesome. 
Um, it'd be interesting, you know, see, hopefully we get a nice group of people, but it's that thing where when you, like when I first, and it's still like, oh, you know, I usually hug you. Do I get a hug, a handshake, fist bump, elbow bump, foot kick? Like there's that awkward moment where you're like, what are, you know, what's going on? And, and it's, it's yeah. interesting. It's an interesting, you know, bit of experience. Uh, the other thing with the masks outside, like there's no smiles. So now you got to smile with your eyes. You've got to kind of put in your sensory acuity and yeah. kind of uh, uh, like sort of address like, okay, are, yeah, okay. Is that a smile? Like, okay, good. Like, uh, it's, it's, ah, it's just so weird. Um, Do you think you're going to see people winking a lot more? Probably. Because yeah. I'm at the grocery store and, you know. Yeah, but then you get that now it's sexual harassment. Oh, right. Because that would be sexual, of course. Anybody can be harassed, I suppose. But... <laughs> And so people will like say, excuse me, and, and I'll gladly get out of the way or I'll just wait and they'll be, you know, and they can't see me smile. Right. So as far as, as far as they're concerned, I mean mugging them. I'm just staring them down because it's like <laughs> blank, blank with yeah. just eyes looking at them. They don't realize that I'm smiling. I got a big smile underneath that black mask, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I don't know what to do I, about I that. Yeah, well, I don't know a, what to do about it. It's weird. It, it's amazing how much body language it matters. Well, and micro expressions actually do. Like just seeing a little movement, a little quiver, a little anything is so valuable. Um, and you know, to have to recalibrate now is such a an interesting challenge, especially if someone's wearing glasses as well. So now right. you don't have any seeing, even if their lips are changing color or you know, yeah. all of the things that you know we consciously or other than consciously are aware of and use as our communication repertoire. Uh, yeah, very curious. Um, Again, I digress. So you, we were talking about live events and uh, the, the oh. pivoting and, and so forth. So we, um, so I actually started a business called ProGrowth during the pandemic, um, specifically so that we could reach people, um, well, not just for for the companies that that I'm involved with, but just kind of in general, if you wanted to start up a business during the pandemic and you, how would you take it to market? How would you even do it? If you had a professional service, if you're a plumber and you want to start offering plumbing services, how do you even do it? And so um, I thought that that was probably the most important thing to try to solve for, and, and not, just, not just during the pandemic, especially during the pandemic, but what, what startups and small businesses need are customers. Right. They don't, before they, before they go, unless they're well-funded, building a brand is out of the question, right? So uh, what you need are customers and you need conversations. So we've really focused on that and we're using, um, we're, we're trying to use direct cold outreach to try to, um, to network on LinkedIn. So reach out to people and say, Hey, uh, I'm in the treatment industry. You're in the treatment industry. Let's connect. Maybe we can have a phone call. I do marketing. What do you do? Okay, great. If I have anything coming up, I'll shoot you a message. If you have anything coming up, let me know and do that. And you just, 
but do that a lot, right? You can't just do that once or twice. You got to do it a lot because there are, there are people that you don't know what they're doing. They, they may say that they're clinical director for a treatment center, but on the side, they, they have, uh, you know, uh, another, they're, you know, they're consulting with another treatment center that needs a marketer. Right. Right. And, and so that's kind of the same for any, any industry. And so that's what we've really been doing is trying to, how do you, when you're networking, it's, unless you're introduced to someone by someone, it's all cold outreach. When I, when I first started going to events, I was walking up to strangers at, over and over and over again, because it's a numbers game, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm Mike. I work for Active Marketing. What's up? How you doing? Tell me about your business. That is, that's the in-person cold call. Yeah. Right? So they don't know me. They don't even, they don't want to talk to me because they don't know I exist until I walk up and stick my hand out. Say, hey, I'm Mike. Although at those, uh, those events, you, you and uh, Desmond stand out. You're looking uh, very sharp. So like, oh, wow. let me go. Yeah, I don't see what these guys are about. They, uh, these are some sharp-dressed men. Well, we did, we did try to, to brand ourselves so that even in person, we were still branded. Right. You know, the funny thing is, Doug, that bow tie, uh, the first time I wore it, um, I wore it to, uh, to a small event in Costa Mesa it was a lunch and learn that uh, uh, addiction professional was putting on. And, um, and I just wore that bow tie because I wore the bow. Like that's just how I was dressing. I just, I, I wanted to wear a bow tie cause I thought it looked sharp. Yeah. I was like, this bow tie is awesome. I'll wear this bow tie and I wear contacts, but I would frequently just wear glasses that, you know, as nerdy as possible, just because I like the way that they look, right? Yeah. It more accurately depicts who I am as a person. And I liked that. So many people commented on it that when I started doing events, the people started referring to me as the guy with the red bow tie. And so then we all wore red bow ties. Yeah. But it was, Brilliant. it was really natural. It was just me being who I am. Now we don't do the bow ties because it's kind of a, it's kind of a kid's thing now. Boat, the whole bow tie look has really, uh, has really become more youthful, as indicated, if nothing else, by the by young Sheldon, the show on I think CBS. Oh, he wears a, a bow tie. Yeah, even the logo for the show is a bow tie. Okay, I haven't, so, I haven't seen it. So we've backed off the bow tie a little bit. Um, uh, we haven't yet found our, you know, the replacement for that. Um, well, but, and, and so. One of my uh, bands that I, I worked with when I was in music is a band called the Two Skinny Jays. Okay. Check them out. Brilliant, brilliant band. Some of the, the best, li one of the best live bands ever. And when I was in a band called Fat, we toured with them a bit and our drummer was their drummer as well. So he played both shows. Okay. It's pretty nuts. But uh, the point I'm getting at is every tour they did, they would have a theme. So one year they all dressed up as Mork from Ork. Another nice. year, they dressed up as uh, like um, sailors. They all had different sailor outfits. Another, like, so each tour they did, they would sort of have a theme, like a, a new thing. So like that tour, you knew what that was. Just made me think of that with you. And you're like, oh, we're not, you know, we're retiring the bow ties. We've got to come up with another identity that yeah. when we're, you know, out doing things. Like as an example, it's, like my shirts, like I wear like kind of wild shirts. It's kind of my thing. 
Um, yeah, the Robert, you're a Robert Graham fan. I'm right. Yeah. So it's nothing, not, there's anything wrong with it. Um, no, I love it. But like, so everyone kind of would know me from my extravagant shirts and jackets and kind of rocker look. And I'm okay with that being consistent. I love that you guys are going, okay, cool. What would be of a, a, another cool thing that would help us stand out, that would be unique, that also speaks to the fact that you do that speaks to who you are as a brand expert and understanding marketing is more than just a website. Yeah. The, the consistency, the cohesiveness, your brand Bible, all of those things that most people don't even think about the mission, vision, and value statement. Like, are, are you even living that? And I think that's, you know, something where if nothing else, if people are learning about you now that they appreciate that about you, that you are the real deal and pun intended. Well, <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. Most, most organizations don't really have a mission vision values. Very few have values uh, like written somewhere. Almost none have, have their values actually written out or their history. Um, they don't, you know, and so when new people come on board, they don't, the new people don't have, uh, they don't have an idea of what the business stands for or where they came from. Yeah. So I actually think that's pretty important. And that's a big part of a brand book. Because then you get the people who are working for you and representing your organization to be on the same page. They get it. Yep. At least, you know, they, they understand where you came from, what you're about, and where you're going. And, and that's why well, you need to have raving fan clients and internal clients, your internal yeah. sales, your team, right? That's your internal customers. People forget that there's both, you know, external customers who are reaching through one kind of marketing, but then there's internal, like what's a company newsletter, but a, a marketing to your, your internal customers. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. You have to keep morale up and you have to keep everybody on the same page. How have you noticed, um, has any of your company's clients, have they asked for help for internal marketing at all? No. Sometimes we will get help with uh, I shouldn't just say no outright. Sometimes we'll get, we'll, we'll be asked for help with sales consulting. Like, will you, will you scrutinize these phone calls and give us some advice on how to better answer the phone calls? That's the, that's probably the number one thing that we'll get when it comes to um, communicating internally with an mm -hmm. organization. But most of the time, I mean, it's hard to even get uh, an organization to do proper training uh, yeah, for, Tell me about it. Their employees. It's so, it's so yeah. crazy because that's so vital. Like yeah. they forget their, their most valuable asset is their internal customers, is their team. And yeah. now more than ever, um, it needs to be kicked up. And that those investments need to be in the people who've stuck it out. And they're not just holding on because they've got a job, but because they believe in the mission. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So the you know, overall the pandemic has, for some people it's been good. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but not for most, I think. Not yeah. Unfortunately, most. I think we're going to see, uh, uh, the, the curve that we flattened in our, uh, um, spread potentially. Um, and, and again, that's, you know, how do you measure it compared to what, but then the, the, inverse curve we're going to see 
going up the other way of challenges from all of this, whether it be mental health, substance, um, you know, I hate to say it, suicides, um, you know, sadly, you know, it sounds horrible, but I know less people who have even contracted COVID in my world than people who have died from overdoses or suicide. Yeah. I don't know anyone who has contracted COVID. Not even one, not even one person, not professionally or personally. So, uh, I mean, and, yeah, and that's not to minimize the reality of it because it's real for for some for sure. Um, yeah, it, it's just a an interesting perspective on how different areas, different people, and how they they can't help but have some of their perspectives based on the reality that they're living. Right, like like you said earlier, like about treatment centers. Like you know, the average person doesn't know a lot about treatment centers, but w- like the RAS shows up once you get into the, the treatment field, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many treatment centers. Like, I didn't even realize yeah. uh, how many there were and all, and like you're going to a town and like, oh, they're, wow. You know, so there's this whole other thing that influences our filters. And that is what you're doing in marketing as well is helping people parse through that, create awareness and do it in an ecological way such that they're able to appreciate where the opportunities are through, and I assume you do a lot of education marketing as well. If I recall correctly, when, when we were, we were talking to you at one point about, you know, like trying to get something in and that was where some of the negative, not negative feedback, but the, oh, they're working with, you know, some of our competitors. It was an outside, another consultant guy who was working in one division and didn't appreciate the whole perspective. Um, But education marketing is vital. I mean, we, if by that you mean educating the market on just, you know, about, mental health about addiction um what to look for what it is what to expect um we do a lot of that we've we've really moved away from from most other kinds of content and we spend most of our time working on um building educational content you know to, to to position our clients as thought leaders, right? We want people to come to them for the answers. Um, But we we're also creating content that actually, you know, puts some real information out there that we think we, that we as an agency can be proud of and that our clients can be proud of. And so that's most of what we do is we create that content and then we promote it. That's, that's the bulk of what we do. And how much of it is in video versus uh, blogging versus white papers? What? It's almost all uh, not necessarily a, published in a blog, which is kind of chronologically listed. It's more like it, it's more a traditional page uh-huh. that is um, and, and the content is a bit encyclopedic in that it's very comprehensive. It's it's typically, you know, three or four thousand words. Um, we put video in, but we don't, we don't shoot the video. We embed videos that we think are relevant from like Ted talks or John Hopkins or MIT, um, from, from experts in the field that are kind of bigger than us, um, bigger even than maybe some of the, the clinical staff for our clients. 
um, people who are already respected names. And we embed those videos in that kind of, that support some of the things that we're saying. And um, almost, we don't, we don't do like uh, exclusive video, exclusively video content. Mm-hmm. Most of our clients don't have the, the, the ability to provide us with it. Right. And, um, and, and they're not, they're not local to us. So the, the most cost effective way is to, is to just create a web page that looks really good and is engaging and well laid out and has media in it, um, that for people to see. And, and it, it really is very, very well received. Um, we're really, really proud of the the content that we've been producing. We think that it really, um, it's it's really well received by the market, and it and it provides value, and it's you know it kind of it does good. Beautiful. Have you yeah. noticed any trends in what people are searching? Has, has you notice any ebbs and flows in anything in regards to? Is it like um, any particular style of service versus? drug of choice versus like, I, I don't know, I was curious. Well, the trends have pretty much stayed the same aside from COVID, right? I mean, that, that is now the, the number one, the biggest search phrase of all time, right? Yeah. Is this COVID spike. But um, what we've seen over the last, uh, we'll say medium term, like maybe the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if we went back further than this, we would see that it's been building for years is a trauma. Mm-hmm that is an anxiety. Uh, and then uh, th- what kind of goes with that then is d- the major depression. And that's what we're seeing as pretty much everyone that's coming into treatment is arriving with a co-occurring disorder. Right. Almost, almost everyone. We did a research project on, um, on the purchasing behavior of millennials seeking addiction treatment. And, um, and what we found was that, um, well, number one, millennials are a lot more willing to talk about their mental health than previous generations. Um, and, and also that people are being diagnosed far more frequently and far more accurately with anxiety disorders and trauma, um, so much trauma and, um, and also major depression. Those are the those are definitely the three big mental health challenges that people are facing along with their substance abuse. Well, what's gonna be really interesting is how much more trauma comes from COVID because this was traumatic for so many It really many is people. traumatic. Yeah. People are and, scared. And it's, and it's affecting them in so many different ways, triggering them in so many different ways. Like it's just bringing up such it's just such an interesting and, and sad thing to witness because it's exciting some like dormant traumas or creating new yeah. ones. You know, like I feel bad, our daughter, and I'm sure your kids aren't thrilled with the whole mask thing. Like all of a sudden, like, what is this? What do you mean? I, I can't like, is there something wrong with me? Like, and, and creating, right. you know, whether you could argue whether it's healthy or not, Right. Because on one level, kids, by all accounts, are the least susceptible. And, you know, have so do we like do we create another trauma for them, create a mental dis, you know, challenge 
based on being like, like, I don't know, like I'm not a doctor. It's just, it's an interesting yeah. thing to examine and to even more interesting to watch when either you or someone else has a question about it. Like, I'm just curious, like, and then like the attacks because everyone is being traumatized and everyone's so yeah. on edge. So even just asking the question becomes offensive to someone who fits, it, it goes against their survival mechanism. Um, yeah. It, it, well, I think that you can see in the protests going on that everybody was already on edge. Yeah. Everyone, everyone was ready for something, right? And they got a good reason to go out there and do something. They were ready to leave the house. They were home anyways. They and they could be feeling financial stress and all that beyond. Like, so That's like, right. yeah, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just the, the, exactly. the, whether it's intentional or not, the gaslighting that has been occurring to an already excited situation is, you know, someone needs to be responsible about it. Um, and, and unfortunately the, the reciprocation, you know, not to go down a, a media rabbit hole, but it's, I don't care what news agency you follow, they all seem like they're having orgasms while they're delivering the, the crazy news. Like it's just too exciting. Everything's breaking. Everything is just this crazy thing because no one is going to watch and, and the level gets higher and higher. Like I'm sure you've experienced this as well in marketing, right? You got to be as, um, uh, I don't want to say salacious, but you want people to tune in. You want people to, you know, click, you know, dare I say click bait, but you, you want something, a hook to get someone to tune in to, you know, to basically yeah. consume whatever education you're providing. And yeah. in marketing, you've got to, the headline has got to be, you know, kind of catchy enough that someone clicks on it to read the, the content. Well, yeah. The more that goes down that path, the more crazy you've got to put your content to stand out above everybody else. It becomes a competition. Who could be the most outrageous in the way they present something that someone's going to click, tune in, engage, or what have you. Um, so again, whether it's intentional or not is a separate conversation. The fact, the reality is, is that it's happening and it's, yeah. it's creating an excitement uh, of energies that is something that we've we've never seen before and i don't think anyone has even if people say well back in the 60s or whatever it's like no. even information was not able to be spread as quickly no. um there was not an awareness level of instantaneous proportions yeah yeah i mean i um i'm inundated with videos of things happening in a way that even just a few years ago, I mean, you got to think, what was it? 12 years ago, there was no smartphone. Yeah. So you had the Palm uh, pilot. That was like the, the smartest of the phones. Right? <laughs> if you wanted to video someone, you had to have a separate device. Yeah. So the, and, and I remember having one of those and it wasn't small. And then they came out with the small ones and that was, you know, that was great. Oh, yeah. I have one of those, the flip, uh, was it the uh, flip? The flip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, and they were great yeah. for like a year until the smartphone came out, right? Yeah, so. I think I got two um, of them. <laughs> figures. <laughs> <laughs> they were great. They were yeah. great. Um, and we had one too. So a flip. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. But now you get, if, if somebody does something, like during these protests that are all about police brutality, if the cops mess up, they're going on Reddit, 
right? Everybody's going to, it's going on Facebook. Everybody, I even see it on LinkedIn, which doesn't wow. make any sense, but the, it goes everywhere immediately, immediately. You, so in a world like that, until we're going to know, we're going to know when things change because we have a really good idea of how things are right now, not from CNN or Fox. Well, they're not telling us how it really is right now. No. And the, the challenge with, with the information that's available at the rate that it's available, it requires a lot more personal responsibility in questioning, in doing your own due diligence, in going, okay, wait a minute, that's one point of view. You know, we only saw the, the you know, like as an example, um, remember Fight Club, the movie Fight Club? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're not when, supposed to talk about it, but you can go ahead. We, we okay. Well, we, oh yeah. Oh boy. We already broke the first four <laughs> rules. Um, when I saw the trailer, when the movie came out, when I saw the trailer, yeah. I was like, I have no interest in seeing this. This movie looks stupid. Who cares about just people fighting and, you know, like it just looks like people fighting. I, yeah. the, the, the trailer did not express to me at the time the complexity, the brilliance, the intensity of the movie just looked like a bunch of people fighting. Ergo, yeah. Fight Club. I was like, it's not interesting. When I saw the movie, I was blown away. I was like, holy crap. This is like unbelievable. And I feel like right now we've gotten so conditioned to headlines, to trailer watching. We don't get the full story at all, especially since no one would tune in if it said, you know, person, you know, was, uh, you know, and again, I'm not making saying anyone was or wasn't appropriately you know, apprehended or whatever. I'm just saying it wouldn't get the news if it said, oh, so-and-so was apprehended for crime X. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, then it'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But when you then see a trailer that says, oh, and you get this whole thing, oh, what's going on? And then make decisions on whether or not they're going to even dig deeper, whether or not you're going to watch the movie like happened with Fight Club. And, and this is where it gets really interesting on the importance of personal responsibility and being willing to ask questions and dig deeper because a lot of assumptions are made, just like people who struggle with addiction. A lot of assumptions are made about people who are in that situation, who do go to treatment, who say they need help. And that's because some really bad trailers were put out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it's important that, and it's not happening enough that people do their due diligence, that they figure out, you know, if you see, if you see a clip of something happening and it's a 30 second clip, what happened the 10 minutes before? Right. So the, I mean, there are some cases where there's no justification for some behavior. Absolutely. Um, and, but there are absolutely cases where the, where it was man, manipulated and spun in a way that it, it tells a story that isn't the true story. And whether it's, whether they're being absolutely factually incorrect that they may be factually correct, but still deceptive in the messaging. So I think that it's important that we be pretty careful. Yeah, and and I would like to think, and and part of this show is you know consciously and other than consciously, the purpose of is to get people to get a deeper picture. 
look at people's sort of successes and see what it took to understand that, you know, you, I'm, I know there are marketing companies that ended up going out of business because they were unable to pivot. They were unable to shift. Other yeah. people, you know, they made adjustments and they said, as soon as it happened, boom, I had to make a decision and I, and I started a new business, yeah. right? And there are going to be people, there are going to be haters out there who may go, oh, Mike with the pro growth and whatever, taking advantage of people, you know, because why? Their model of the world is, is from that victimhood mentality, from that not digging deeper instead of going, oh, well, wait a minute. Let me see. There's a pattern here. He's been helping people. He's been adjusting. He's been challenged in the past when industries were going out of business. I'm sure you had clients that went out of business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you didn't give up. You found new ways to serve to, you didn't get bogged down into going, oh, F the government, F Google, F everybody. You're like, okay, well, you know, they, they're doing what they're doing. And yeah. I have two choices. I can make it mean they're out to get me, or I can make it mean they made a change and all I could do is adjust. Well, we're all playing by the same rules and somebody's going to win yeah. or, or many people will win. And some people will quit because they don't like the rules, right? Google said you have to have legit script. Some people will say, okay, well, I'm not going to do pay-per-click ever again then because that I shouldn't have to do that. Okay, somebody else is going to do it and they're going to get their message out. Yeah. And you, and you won't. Not that way. Okay. <laughs> and Decisions. Choices. <laughs> right. And, and, and the consequences of those choices, I think, in, are, are where people start getting upset because, you know, yeah. they... The, they don't like sometimes the idea that the equality is an opportunity, not an outcome. Right. And yeah. there's, there's two different conversations right there. And yeah. well, I think that comes down to, um, you know, if you, if bad things happen to you and you take ownership for them and you say, okay, I made the following mistakes and I know now that I know that I made the following mistakes that I own, which I did in my business, I made huge mistakes that cost a lot of money, cost jobs and a lot of hardship. And they're mistakes that I made and I won't make those mistakes again. But the, you get into trouble when you say it wasn't my fault. The industry changed or this client stiffed me. It's not my fault. I, I went out of business or I'm struggling and it has nothing to do with me. When you start to place blame outside of yourself, that in my opinion, that's when you start to get in, in trouble. Yep. Or, and it's okay. And by the way, it's okay to not say place blame. It's not of a blame thing. Like I look at my career, like the music industry, the peak of my career was when Napster came out. Okay. So the technology changed everything. Not only were sales changing because people could just share the music, right? Peer to peer. Yeah. Um, but the way music was created, uh, Pro Tools and digital recording changed everything. You didn't need to have a giant studio anymore. So studios were closing, record companies were closing, everything changed. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I kind of, I feel like I've run my course. Um, and I, I looked at, I re- I reevaluated and looked at why, what I got, what, what was the psycho remuneration that I got for the music? Cause I started, I was making a lot of money at that point, but I was like, I would do this if it was for, for free. 
like, why? Why would I do it for free? And I unpacked my personal gratification. So I go, yeah, the music industry changed and all that. And I made a decision at that point to change who I was, my relationship with it. And now I've pivoted. I make help people make music of their lives, but I never resented oh, that never should have happened. The music industry should have been the same way. And, you know, I'm not like Uncle Ricky. Well, yeah. if I had, you know, if I had won the big, you know, like th that is such an interesting challenge that most people go through is that decision when things happen that are outside of your control. Yeah. What we do with that information. And things are always going to happen outside of our control. Yeah. The only thing it's we can control is our relationship with what's outside our control. Right, right. We, yeah, that's right. We can, we can choose the decisions that we make and, and our behavior, what we do, but things will always be, you know, bad things are always going to happen, but good things are going to happen too. It, it's just that we tend to look for the bad things. They're so much easier to see than the good things that happen. Well, and you get, there's a lot of secondary gains from that. And I was just thinking the other day I was going to do a story on this, um, on how our, this is why I teach state management, like my primary program, Freedom Hack, is about state management. So as an example, have you ever been like really hungry and uh, you go to the supermarket because you're on your way home, dinner, you have dinner, like you're on your way home for dinner, but like, I'm gonna start at the supermarket, I gotta pick up a couple things. How much more unnecessary stuff do you end up picking up when you're hungry? Because you're like, oh, you know, like you get, it's never the good stuff either. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So, and that's just a, like a, a, a very generalized, simplified example. But oftentimes, depending on the state that we're in, is going to drastically influence the decisions and the actions we take. It's like going to a restaurant when you're starving and then you order, you know, you eat the, all the bread, you get more bread before and you get a huge meal. And then, you know, midway through, you're like, oh my gosh, my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Well, yeah, because you, showed up starving because you didn't eat today and you just and again yeah. simple version but this happens into the what we plug into our mind you know i've spent a lot of time over the last um year or so uh really focusing on i mean state management is a new term for me how are we doing on time doug oh good doing okay? yeah i don't have anyone after so okay well, state management so state management is a good uh a new term for me, but just kind of getting in a headspace that is appropriate for the situation, if not optimal. That's, yeah, exactly what I teach is yeah. how to do that, how to pick the appropriate state for the appropriate task at hand or yeah. optimal, right? Like say, you know, you yeah. don't show up to, you know, is it appropriate to be, um, you know, full of confidence and, and all that? Yes maybe not, you know, when you're on a date and you should be curious or compassionate or, you know, it's like sometimes we just, you know, curious is a wonderful state to be in, but maybe not when you're going out to play a sport or, you know, it's like there's all these opportunities that we never kind of sift through and go, okay, what do I really want? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and people don't understand that the state comes first, not second. Right. You, that's right. So it's not, it's not how are things going that determine how you should feel. If you come in with a, it's, a, it's similar to attitude, right? If you come in with a positive attitude, this is going to be great. And you just keep looking at it like, this is great. Then it, it's probably going to be a lot better 
then if you come in going, this is not going to be great. This is going to be tough. Well, That's here's what I can guarantee. If you, if you say going into it, it's going to suck, it will. If you, right. if you go in and say this is going to be great, it may not be as great as you would like, but it'll certainly yeah. be better than what you thought it could have been or the way it would have been had you gone in with this is going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that, uh, that your perspective on things and the, the, how, you, how you, I guess state is, your state is really the, that's the right word for it. How you are yeah. at that moment, um, emotionally and physically, mm-hmm. right? Because oh, they're, they're, they're directly tied. Yeah, exactly. So if you come into a situation and you have calm, then you're going to probably be a little better prepared for anything than if you come into a situation and you have, you know, anxiety and, and you're physically jittery or jumpy or um, full of adrenaline. Which is back to the full circle to the perfect storm after a few months of people being locked up and then feeling pressure from all angles right? Financially, emotionally, spiritually, you know, just being cooped up. Yeah. You know, it's almost like it, the pressure was there. So any crack that could have been put in there, that would have been the focus. Um, because I think there was probably a group of people who are also kind of going, wait a minute, why am I being locked up here? I don't know anybody. I don't, what's going on. Something doesn't make sense. And, you know, the narrative starts getting questioned. Then numbers start actually coming in and going, so wait, those were the right questions all along? Like now you're, and then people are starting to, you you know, and and then, right. And then all of a sudden, oh, you know, again, I'm not saying that there's anything nefarious, you know, going on. It's just perfect storm. Boom. When it rains, it pours. And then another opportunity for explosion. Well, in Michigan, we did have protests about that. The, uh, you know, there was a, I, I think it might have been the Michigan militia all strapped on their, their assault rifles and took over City Hall or uh, the state capitol. Oh. So, I mean, it's not like there was nothing going on to begin with. No, well, of course, I'm going to say the, 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 the pressure. And so it was going to get yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a feeling that it would have been a lot bigger if th- there was going to be a release, right? That yeah. tea kettle was going to whistle one way or the other. Right. So, um, although I-, I will, I have to say that I think this is a good whistle that we're hearing right now. I, I don't know. I- I'm not 100% on board with I really, you know, everything that's going down, obviously, but. Of course. I, I, I agree. I believe that the conversation clearly needed to be exposed. Yeah. Um, and that is a positive. I wish that we could have it under more calm and compassionate spaces without all the um, charge. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of like right now, though, and, and it, it, it's like... Uh, I'm a typical guy, so like the fight, the, like I guess there's a fight going on, and I'm like already. Okay, when can we have the makeup sex? Like I just want this to be done with and and move <laughs> on, um, because like it's you know like okay, I got it. Now let's start moving. Like what what, what can we do? Like yeah, and that's where I think the challenge is right now because no one really knows what to do, and because it's so divisive, 
it's triggering everybody because the truth is everybody has examples of oppression everybody has examples of pain so as soon as the conversation starts it becomes like a he said she said and like nobody's being heard yeah because there's no, it's like having a, an argument with your wife like you know when's the appropriate time to also bring up maybe some of the challenges you've been having it's not yeah. when she's telling you hers right but like <laughs> Right. That's and how right. often do we do that though? When, when, she, yeah. you know, when our wives will say, Hey, you know, X is bothering me, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, what's bothering me then, you know, since we're going to go down there and then all of a sudden, ah, oh, boom, like it just becomes uh, the wrong time. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So I think that, you know, something will get done as soon as it, there just needs to be a little more dialogue. And I think hopefully, I mean, this is a, this is a, a, a national conversation that has pretty much gone this way a couple times before um, and nothing got done. So, yeah, well, I guess here's, here's what I, and I'm not suggesting something or nothing did get done. I, this is actually a genuine question. Like, and I ask with Ernest, how would we know? Like, how do we measure that? Because in my world, like I, it's not really an issue. I was not, I, I, was like, I, obviously we all have some other than conscious biases and, and yeah. so forth, but like, it's never like none of my, it's, I don't hang out with people who, you know, they're always inclusive. I've been in the press development and music industry my entire life. I was working on rap records to pop records to like, there was never music was the language. There was never an issue of race or anything that came into any conversation for us. We all made music together. Um, and then personal development, very similar thing. So uh, since I don't see a whole lot of it, I'm not exposed to it. My friends, my family, yeah. no one, I, I wouldn't know progress or not. And I don't know how we would measure yeah. it or not. Because the truth is, there's always going to be people who are disrespectful, who are assholes, who just are, you know, and it may have nothing to do with race. It just may be they're, they're you know, ignorant jerks. I mean, certainly that's you know? the case a lot. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you know. I, um, I suppose that there are ways to measure some of the outcomes that you want to, um, some of the outcomes that you'd want for a group of people. But there's always, there, I don't know that this is a, a problem that is, you know, in quotes, solvable. Um, but there are pieces of it that probably are. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that everybody has, you know, skin in the game. Yeah. Because it's like there are people who want, they want to take action and they don't know what to do. Yeah. And they're like, I, I want things to improve, but I don't know how we're going to measure it. What are the KPIs? So how do I know I'm doing the right thing? And then how yeah. do I know I'm not pissing somebody off? Because I don't know what to do now. I'm in this, you know, fight, flight, or freeze. And I'm like, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And then like, yeah. well, yeah, that's the problem. Like, well, I, you didn't give me a, an actual solution. Right, right. Well, you know, there are, I don't know. I've seen a list of five demands, a list of 10. I've seen a list of 30, right, that of, of the what some of some people have said, this is what we want. Um, I mean, it, I, I haven't seen those and, and maybe you could tell me, are they measurable? And in what, time uh, frame? some of them, some of them are, well, they, they 
they're almost all about law enforcement. Well, that, right? well, that's, well, some of those made total sense. Like, yeah, I mean, there's like body some cameras. Stuff. Yeah, that, that should be yep. part of the gig. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so yeah, it should be part of the gig. So measurable, I think, I think you'll know when they pass uh, regulations and laws, uh, you know, like police need more training. Obviously, they're asked to do too much. Obviously, they're asked to do too much. There's no question. They can't possibly be trained for everything they have to handle. Well, and I think that it goes into now, like, you know, back to, you know, a whole other conversation versus bureaucracy and the efficiency and efficacy of a bureaucracy, the demands put on it, the way our, I mean, our system is, you know, I, like, I believe should be term limits for everybody. This way, the work that's being done is to help the people who are going to be leaving office. So they're not worried about right. keeping their job. They're worried about how they're going to be treated when they leave. So the conversation might shift a little bit because they go, oh, you know, I should probably do this because, you know, long term, this is going to be better and I'm going to feel it. Not long term if I do this and halt this and fund that and then there's no more money left because I'm making sure that I'm getting more money to get reelected because I got to continue doing my good. And then there you go. There goes some budget for training or there goes, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's not, I think the challenge, as you know, it's like a marketing, this is all marketing. Anyway, I'm sure you've noticed this whole conversation around COVID BLM, everything is all marketing anyway. Um, is the, the idea that it's not as simple as take this pill and it solves everything. Yeah. It's so complex. This whole, everything that we're dealing with, there's so many webs of conversation that have natural consequences, cause and effects that then impact each other. And people sometimes get myopic and are going, okay, this and then that. Well, but that you just handed that off to somebody else who doesn't know that you didn't know that if you handed it to them another way, they would have been able to then hand it off to uh, this next person because this is where it goes yeah. next, right? The workflow of life has gotten so compartmentalized. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, people don't tend in general, a person, a person is smart. When you talk to a person, they tend to be pretty smart. If you talk to a group of people, when you get group think happening, all of a sudden the IQ goes way down and people start reacting in ways that don't make any sense at all. And so I think that, um, I, I do think that there are some very valid points being made and mm -hmm. that, and some of the things that are happening are, are really just not American. It's not what, it's not how we're supposed to be. And it's not how I want to be. It's not, I don't want to be associated with it. And I don't, you know, it pisses me off, but, um, the, you, if you're going to do something, you gotta, you gotta put your thinking cap on, not your, you know, shouting cap. Right? Yeah. You, well, you that's it. Where it's, yeah. It's like, it's, and I, I, and I'm, I don't want to equate this and it, you know, someone listening may get offended. It, uh, it has a feeling of people in active addiction. They're not thinking, they're taking actions, and this is on both sides, I'm not, I'm, this isn't on any side, it's when people get in that state, 
Mm-hmm. The thinking goes out the window. Like, and it, it's the same. The dopamine, the adrenaline, all of that messes with the way we think. And, you know, it's like guys, like when they, you know, the, the, they get turned on, right, by a woman, they do and say things they probably wouldn't do when they think there's an opportunity that they may, you know, score, right? Well, how is this any different? They, we stop thinking when certain neurochemicals start flowing. And that's where, again, the state management, like, okay, whoa, whoa hold on. Let's, what, what do we want and what is, and what is the state we want to ultimately feel, right? If we want to feel right. inclusive, like as an example, when I'm in, in a spirit of debate with a friend or whatever, if I want, if you and I are in an argument and I want to, but really what my goal is, is that we're like connected and, you know, feeling like aligned, pointing out what's wrong is not going to get us there. Pointing out what, you know, like, okay, here's what we could agree on, right? And we want this outcome. We may argue on how we get there and that's fine. We can, we can navigate that, but we have to agree on A, assume the best of each other, and then go, here's the outcome that we want. Now, now that we both agree that that's what we want, now let's talk about how we get there. We have different strategies and those we're going to need to be flexible on anyway. And yeah. we need more of that. Unfortunately, it's harder to make happen because when everyone is in this heightened state of uh, frustration and anger and whatever, each you know, everyone and everyone has the right to feel the way they want to feel. And, you know, that's all I'm not minimizing that it's just their consequences from allowing that to continue. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, it is it's tough enough to have a conversation where two people have different points of views to try to find a common ground. But when you're already angry and adrenalized and you already feel like, you know, on one side, you've got people that are, that are saying you have uh, been unfair to me and to people like me, and it is an unjust for a very long time. And you've got the other side saying, you're accusing me of doing things that I'm not doing. Some other people may have done that, but I'm not doing it. So now you've got one person who feels attacked and the other and defensive and the other person, well, they feel attacked too and angry and how do you get those two points of view to have a conversation where they can both say okay you actually have something correct that i agree with to say it's pretty tough well and because the challenge i think at this point is we've gone there's such an extreme that neither side they've, they've taken a position that any lean towards outside of the extreme goes to the other side right like they're hundred percent with me or you're a hundred percent against me. Yeah. So there's no capitulation or compromise on either side. And then yeah. we continue down to have this path. And then when someone says, Hey, like, let's just be humans. And they're like, yeah, you're not, you know, you're my problem. Like, okay. Uh, can we all be Americans? America's the problem. It was based on, and like, well, okay. So here are the things we can't change. We're human and American. And those are the things you're telling us is wrong. How can we move into like, what are we then? Like if, yeah. we're, if we can't agree that we're human and we can't agree that we're American, like, I, I don't I don't know where to go from there because 
Like it's yeah. not, we're not even finding base similarities and to want to even have that conversation. If that's challenging, then you, then you go, okay, I don't, I don't know what to do. I, who even has the conversation? Exactly. When you I got, don't know. When, you, when you've got like one mob, at least, at least the, I shouldn't say mob, but you've got a crowd, you've got hundreds of thousands of protesters, which one of those people because you can't have a, a group of people having this conversation. Which one gets to have that conversation? I think that's probably a step that needs to happen first is that they need to have, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speculate on who that might be, but I'm, I'm well, but here's the thing. Here's a challenge support. for anybody is that if you are not, if the representative isn't fully ensconced in the extreme position on either side, it's like a capitulation anyway. And then they lose faith. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's right. Like, and then it doesn't count because right. they, they weren't one of us anyways. So, yeah. like, it's going to take some time, I think, for people to just calm down and, yeah. you know, it's like letting just, you know, say, not say time heals all wounds. Because, I'm, I'm, like, I even po I posted a question the other day and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, what I'm noticing is maybe if we change some of the questions, what questions would lead us to some form of healing? Let's just look at what are the questions we're habitually asking during all of this. And this was before the riot. I think it was during COVID, or no, it was right when I think it was when it first started um, with uh, with the the new challenges. And someone messaged me, um, "We don't need healing. We need change." And I was like, uh, "Okay, I'm not going to get. I didn't get engaged, but like that's now we're talking semantics here because <laughs> healing by definition is change." So then what kind of change? Like, to what end? Like, I get you're frustrated and I get you're in pain and I also want to help you. And, I, and, I, and I, I will gladly, if I've done something specifically that I can take responsibility for, I, I will. I'm trying to figure out what that is beyond just, like, trying to help people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we're you and I maybe are not in a position where we can directly, uh, you know, we can't sign a, a document and and make the change. All we can do is I don't know, talk about it. I, I guess, but even uh, then, I feel like not qualified anyway. Like I, I, mean, I like I'm not qualified, right? Like well, okay, what do you like? And it's and then back into that position where we can't even you know, we have to be able to come from in a place of calmness, confidence, love, compassion, empathy, and allow the space for that. And until that happens, I think we're going to continue in, in this frustration. And again, that's why it looks like addiction to me, because same would be true when someone is active in their addiction. Yeah. You can't talk. Yeah. You can't, there's no talking at that point. The, 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 their mind is, you know, myopically focused on drug of choice. They're, you know, and, and there's positive intent behind it. You know, again, it's not making the person wrong. It's just, you know, right conversation, wrong time. Yeah. And in that case, you just kind of got to let that person just settle down and then say, okay, can we, can we talk about it now? Right. And can we talk it, about this. Easier, I mean, man, Heidi and I dealt with that with the family, we still do with the families because we still have our family program. Um, that's, it's hard enough for them. 
And yeah. that whole situation, now when we extrapolate this into groups, which is, you know, a whole other mindset, like it's not, and it's not apparent, different relationship. Yeah. It's, it's, Someone has to show up with the, the kindness and the compassion and the empathy that you were talking about. Someone needs to show up. One, so, one of these two sides needs to show up with that. And it, it, it can't be the protesters. It won't, I mean, I just don't think that it's likely to be the protesters because, and to be frank, no one will listen or care about them. Not if right they just now. sat down and kumbaya, nobody's gonna, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Nobody would care. The, the, the conversation would be about them blocking traffic. Right. right. And so if the police show up with no batons, no guns, no mace, no tasers, no riot shields, what's going to happen? If they just show up and say, we're just here to talk, what's going to happen? Is the mob going to, to just blow them up? Well, and there's a legitimate fear about that, but I like I understand like there. What is the answer? That vulnerability. Yeah. The one thing I did see, and again, this is a nonpartisan statement. Um, there was, I think, it was the head of the New York uh, BLM um, went to a Trump rally, and they were pro. You know, they were screaming and doing. You know, like and uh, having their yeah. voices heard, and they were like, "Hey, come on up, come up on stage," and share your message to our group. We're here. We want like, let's have a conversation about it. And it yeah. was beautiful. They, they went up, they talked, they spoke their mind. And at, there were a few people kind of going to get off the stage, whatever. But for the most part, people were like, okay, cool. Like that was a conversation. And when they got off, people were going up to them and saying, thank you for sharing. And, the, and there was conversation going on. Um, I'm yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I did not because that I, would show like that that would show possibility. There, right. you know, again, I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but there are reports of some of the organizers telling people not to take selfies with the cops who are being nice, who are, you know, kneeling with them, and who are, you know, just kind of like, hey, I'm, 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 I support you. Let's move forward, and like, don't take pictures with them. Don't, don't put them on social media because that gets in the way of the intensity of our messaging. It, and it does. It dilutes the message. It does. From a marketing perspective, they're right. Unless you know your outcome. Okay. If the outcome right. is continue and divide and, you know, make the, make all cops bad, then yes, don't show any cops doing the things that we really are saying we want. If you don't want, if you want healing, if you want co like, you know, a conversation, if you want retraining, you want policemen's buy-in. If that's, I mean, yeah. if that's, that's what you want is buy-in, then we should be promoting that more than the other. We Agreed. should, like, so that's Some where I think. Positive reinforcement. Look at this good behavior. Let's give right. this, it, yeah, let's recognize this. This is what we want. Can we get some more of this? To show possibility. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is it, as a marketer for treatment centers, you don't show only pictures of people overdosing. We never do. 
Right. You show pictures of people healing. You show pictures That's of right. people on, you know, going, hey, now, is there going to be some challenges to get there? Yes. Do we want to avoid overdoses? Yes. Do we want to show awareness to it? Yes. But here's what's crazy. If all this was true and we really wanted to help people, Facebook would allow people to advertise from a problem solution perspective. Yeah, it's funny that that Facebook puts restrictions on who they think can advertise and who can't. Doug, I gotta plug in my laptop. Hang on a second, I gotta run around. I ran out of power. Ah, quality problem. There we go. Okay. Yeah, it's weird that Facebook is saying, okay, well, we've determined that this cause is not worthy of advertising and this other this other cause is well and it's also the way it's positioned right i remember when i would you know in treatment being an example um one time for families we had a picture of like a woman her face was kind of distorted because it was one of the things where she was shaking it and it had the thing and it was just like a face of like oh i'm losing my mind because i don't know which way to go kind of thing and they were like yeah no that's uh that image is too um derogatory or upsetting or negative uh we're not going to advertise you know you can't run that ad I'm like well how does that violate standards because like oh we only want people to feel good like yeah. you can't you can't advertise you know you can't say things like you know or you know do you have addiction in your family like <laughs> yeah i don't it, it's it, i mean facebook can't win no matter what they do no agreed are, okay. you know they're in an impossible position um and twitter is now too because they've grown large enough. So there's all these organizations that are in just in impossible positions. Well, I appreciate taking responsibility and, and recognizing the responsibility you hold. And, and I get that. Um, but here, this has become, uh, the, you remember how you said earlier, the, you know, when you buy a car, you know, then you see them all over the place. Yeah. The car, you know, it's called the RAS, reticular activator system in our brains. Well, the Facebook algorithms are the same thing. So if you're engaging in negative content, if you're like, F this guy, screw that guy, this person, blah, 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 you know, and, and engaging in that kind of stuff that makes you feel that way. Facebook, the algorithms just go, oh, you want to see, I want you on here. So we're just going to make sure you see more of that in your feed. But yeah. if you're engaging in positive stuff, like I'm going to, you know, engage in this. Oh, you know, cool, positive, whatever. You get more of that. The Facebook algorithms go, oh, you want more of that? Because they want you on the, on the, the app as much as possible, get all their mm -hmm. data. Um, so it's interesting how we've got to mind our mind and where our focus is going and how much of that information we are then going to continue to get inundated by, which is then back to using the addiction analogy, right? Like if you or I got up every morning and the first thing we did was, you know, take a shot of vodka. And then as soon as we had a cup of coffee, while we were having the coffee, we were putting vodka in it. And then, you know, as we were sitting down for lunch, we were putting vodka in it. And then as soon as we finished with that, we'd have another shot of vodka. And then during the day, periodically, we would have our vodka during our snacks and then through dinner and then all that. And that was what we did all day. Would we assume that this person has a problem with vodka? Well, absolutely, right? Yet here we are every day 
wake up, first thing we do is look at our phone, check our social media, check our mail. Then when we go downstairs, have our coffee, we're checking our social media, checking what's going on. I don't know if everybody does this, but a lot of people do. Then while they're driving, they're checking their media, they're checking what's going on. And they're on the, you know, on it as much as, but if if you did that with alcohol, someone go, you're an alcoholic. But when someone does it on their phone, it's normal. So there's a case to be made that we are all um, cyborgs now. Well, we have a second brain. Because of our phones. And although it's not attached, if you leave it at home, (laughs) withdrawal, you get missing limb syndrome. Yep. Right. It is. Yeah. I mean, really it will bother someone all day. So the, I, I, I totally get, I totally hear what you're saying. Although I think that the phone is the beginning of something that is going to be a lot more than just the phone. It's going to be without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, uh, I think that I agree completely. Facebook has given you what you want to see, right? You, you can you can complain that Facebook promotes negative stuff to you, but really what you should be saying is, boy, why do I love all this negative stuff so well, much? Remember when targeting <laughs> first became sort of available to people on a higher scale where people start to really understand what's happening and, and so yeah. forth? Um, well, two things. Number one, by the way, here's the other thing. You may not be looking for it on your phone, but if you're talking about it, it's listening and it's giving it to you anyway. But um, the other thing is uh, some guy, I remember he posted on Facebook. He's like, since when did Facebook started advertising uh, like, you know, um, Vi- Viagra or, you know, some other, you know, porn- pornography or, or whatever. Right. And so I was like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you like, don't be telling us that because all that is, is retargeting. You were looking at some porn or some other stuff on, on your browser and it's showing up on your, uh, yeah your advertisements yeah that's right because that's what you're interested in right (laughs) (laughs) it's showing it so so now yet now and the consumer needs to make this decision too would you rather have advertisements for products that like do you need to see products for feminine feminine products do you need to see ads for that you'll never consume that right Uh, i'm making an assumption so right (laughs) But, or would you rather see advertisements for things that you're interested in that you might actually be like, that's sweet. I want to learn more. So, and and I don't think think there's an argument to the the value of the targeting by any stretch. I'm I'm not suggesting that it's just an awareness where that it's happening to us anyway, supply and demand, right? Like the news wouldn't be advertising or wouldn't be advertising, wouldn't be promoting all of this stuff if people weren't tuning in. They're measuring it. So we're feeding it. We are directly, and and that's, I think, ultimately what I'd love us to get to is we are directly feeding the very beast we're resisting by engaging the way we are currently. Yeah. Yeah the style through which, and again, I'm not minimizing or suggesting that some of the challenges that are being brought up don't exist or minimizing them. I'm just suggesting right now, the, the, again, whether it's nefarious or not, the gaslighting that we are responsible for throwing the flames on the gas on because we're engaging in the very 
experience that allows it to propagate itself. Yeah, it's like we make the decision, okay, do I want to be gaslighted to the right or to the left today? Which way will I go? Okay, I'm going to go MSNBC today and I'm going to let them gaslight me. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to go Fox News. And then, and then they can have and their way. And what's crazy, I do this. I put on both and me it's too. like they're two completely different universes. Yeah. It's not, they're not even talking about the same stuff. No, or it's as if they don't live in the same world at all. Right. I, yeah. When I, O'Reilly was on, I used to switch back and forth between Rachel Maddow and Bill O'Reilly. And now it's and Maddow and of, Hannity. Yeah. It, and it's funny because sometimes it'll be like the same general topic. But it, the way that they talk about it, neither of them are being genuine. Like, I mean, it's just... It, it, it's all I, I love watching sometimes I'll put on uh, uh, The Five. Yeah. I, I think Greg, Greg Gutfeld is funny. I knew you were going to say Greg Gutfeld. Yeah, yeah. he's funny. But yeah. what I find so interesting, and it, it, but it's all, it's all theater because like they, they'll like present something and it's almost like, like sometimes like, uh, have you ever like watched or experienced like debates for the sake of debating? Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like basically like, okay, just pick an opposing, pick, pick a point of view and yeah. like whether or not you believe in it doesn't matter. Just, just debate that side. It's right. like watching, watching the five. It's almost like they, you know, they, they've got to have that dynamism, you know, and they'll, you know, some crazy thing will happen and I don't care which side it is. They both come up with some crazy like opinion on either side. It's almost like it's, it's obvious that it's like fabricated. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. I, you, you, like you just, you, it's like, your, it's your job, Juan, to, to be on that side. And it's your job, yeah. Tyrus, to be on that side. And it, like, you're, you're almost, and not to, to say they're inauthentic or disingenuous to such a degree. It's just that sometimes you could just, it just feels like, oh man, you just, it, it's almost like you're, they, they said, okay, here's the side you're going to pick today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's why they hired Juan because they needed somebody on that side. Although he always tends to come off as the most reasonable to me. He seems like the nicest person on the show. I th- um, well, that's what's so interesting. And, and is that like, I'll, I don't know any politicians and I don't know like on either side, I don't know them, but I bet in person, most of them are really nice. Yeah. I think that's their whole thing, right? Like that's that's what they do. They are are nice. But you see, they, but the way they're p- portrayed is yeah. Like they're and again, right or left doesn't matter. You know, you, you got the Trump haters who go, you know, he's this you know nar- narcissist, whatever. And by the way, I think anyone who wants to be in politics right now, and for the last twenty plus years, and especially now more than ever, you've got to have narcissistic tendencies to even think you could handle that job. Right. Like there's just you got to screw loose just if you want that gig, knowing the the scrutiny and the you know how there are going to be people. You got to have such thick skin, and you've got to have strategies to deal with it. Like you're not normal. You're not the average everyday person, which is again why I believe there should be term limits because I think people would be much kinder. And because, you know, I'm coming out, I wouldn't be, you know, throwing arrows the way I would because I know next, you know, in four years, I'm going to be on the other end. Like, I'm going to be smart about this. 
Yeah, I mean, that may be. Of course, they might just be like, okay, I'm going to make as many corrupt relationships as I can while I'm here so that I get paid when I get out. That's possible, but it, it, you'd have far less time to make that happen. Yeah, that's true. And there's, when you have the same people uh, kind of running the show, you're not going to have a lot of innovation. Nope. Right? You, you, it's, it, you're not going to get a lot of innovation out of an 80-year-old. I'm just saying. It's probably not going to happen. Well, and they surround themselves with yes people. So they're not even having someone go, uh, excuse me, how about this? And, you know, like I don't, I find that argument when someone, you know, says, well, this person is best for the job because of all their years of experience. I'm going, that, that's the reason why they shouldn't have that job. Right. But, but then there you go. Here's the, the diametrically opposed opinions of someone believing that the experience is necessary and other people going, no, the experience is actually a detriment that we got to find somewhere in the middle. And then that becomes critical thinking, which when we're all heated goes out the window. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I wouldn't want to be in politics. I can tell you that. I mean, I love a good argument, but I, I wouldn't want to be, there's too much scrutiny and too much bureaucracy. It would be incredibly frustrating to me to have to and you know this must happen all the time they know that they have a better way they know that there are problems to which they have a solution and they absolutely cannot get it done this is on both sides of the aisle you yep. cannot get it done because the bureaucracy and politics gets in the way just partisan politics when you see it when you see something come through and it's and the vote is down party lines that just pisses me off right. because that means that people didn't even think about it Right. And, well, and it'll give you a perfect example. And again, this isn't partisan. It's just fact. Uh, when um, the ACOA was passed, 1800 pages. Well, we'll pass it. Then we'll read it. Then we'll see what's yeah. in it. Right. Like, well, you admitted it. Like you just said, you, you actually just admitted that you are right. buying into bureaucratic baloney instead of using critical thinking and, and thinking this through and asking the right questions. Yeah. What's the rush? Like you're right. talking about a major, major overhaul of a situation that, you know, and but then again, one could argue that's exactly how he did COVID. Shut everything down. Whoa, whoa hold on. There are other things to consider that you have already proven you don't have a plan for, which means yeah. you didn't consider it. <laughs> We're running out of stuff. I mean, just kind of just random things. We're just running out of things. The store, the shelves at the stores are emptying out and they're not getting replenished. I mean, not across the board, but I, I'm like, I'm going to the stores now and I'm seeing that there are, there are empty spaces where there used to be products always. Yeah. And it's not because demand has suddenly gone up. It's because the supply chain has completely broken down. If you don't, I was listening to Elon Musk, who is a genius, mm -hmm. and he said uh, something that was very succinct, but also really true. If you don't make things, you're going to run out of them. So <laughs> if you send everybody home, stop making whatever it is, you're going to run. Eventually, you're going to run out, and you're not going to have that thing anymore. Somebody's got to make it. It could be food. It could be cars. It could be coffee makers. But if like, I need to send my coffee pot in to be repaired, but I can't cause they're not working. So I'm out of coffee pots, <laughs> you know, oh boy, you're going to be okay. 
I'm going to, I'm going to be, actually, I haven't drank coffee. I, I want to start drinking coffee again. I, uh, oh, I haven't drank coffee <laughs> since January. Oh man. I gave it up. I, I went on a retreat and I gave it up in January and then oh, okay. I, just never, I never right. picked it back up again. Okay. Yeah. So now, but now I want to, now I'm like, I, I want some coffee. I'm sick of not drinking. Coffee. Well, and, and yeah, I think that's where the, again, equality, the, the idea of equality of outcome, the idea of um, ultimate fairness that needs to be tempered with nature. Like there are just things in life that have natural cause and effect. So you don't produce, you don't have like right. common sense, but when people are all freaking out, they're not thinking. You know, yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's like, I don't know. I remember growing up and I was like, and again, I'm not, I don't want anyone to equate that I'm putting anyone in this box. But when I was like 17 or 18 years old, I got my first credit card. And then when I got too much in debt, I had a case of the efforts because I was like, well, what am I, you know, I might as well just spend another, you know, max it out at this point because I can't pay yeah. it off anyway. Screw it. Yeah. I, I, it, it has that feeling sometimes like that, like where people are just kind of like, well, it's already too far gone anyway, so screw it. Um, you know, that's, that is a sentiment that we're getting to with COVID. Yeah. Right. And where people are just like, okay, this COVID thing's been going on long enough. All the hype is uh, I'm, I'm over the hype and just F it. I don't care. I'm going to go out. I'm going to live my life. And I'm going to take the risk because I'm sick of dealing with it. I was scared at first. The risk is now clearly defined. We know what it is and I'm okay with it. And, and I can't afford to stay home. And I can't afford to stay home. Right. So, <laughs> like, so I'm just going to be okay with the risk. Which by the way is normal. We all run those risks. And I think what, what gets frustrating, I think for some, and this is where I think the, some of other people get so frustrated is like, don't treat me like an idiot. Like I know the risks in hand. I, you know, I wash my hands. I sterilize. I don't put myself in environments. I'm not going to be a complete idiot. And I know the risk. So I'm willing to take that on, especially since now the numbers are showing that it's, it's not nearly as crazy. But other people are still taking that position of like, well, you're going to kill my grandmother if you go out and uh, because you could contract it. You could give it to somebody else. We could give it to somebody else. We could give it to somebody else who could then end up inadvertently giving it to me. And I wouldn't know. Then I go see my 80-year-old grandma and then they die. Right. Which well, would happen with the from- flu. The risk of dying from COVID is the same, like the risk of a 75-year-old dying of COVID is the same as the risk of a 75-year-old dying because they're 75, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it, it's not like, I mean, to the hundred and some thousand people who have died from COVID this, over this year, it's clearly a very big deal, right? So it, to the families that are affected, it's a really big deal. Absolutely. I don't think anyone's minimizing that. I think the question well, becomes is, is what do you do? Like, where do we draw the line? Because no one is giving that same amount of concern. More people die from overdoses than COVID, but you don't see cigarettes, people. half a million a year from cigarettes. Yeah. So, you know, that's where I think people are going, okay, well, we're cool with that. But then why are we looking at this other stuff? Like, yeah. How come that's not important? How many people die of diabetes? Because, and the argument is, is because those aren't contagious. 
Okay. So there's got to be some happy medium between right. every man for himself. Common sense. And, and uh, you know, uh, military state. There's some, there's some happy medium between you have to tell us when we can leave and when we can stay, when we have to stay home. And, and just every man, just like do whatever you want. There's probably, there needs to be some guidance, but it, it's still America, right? We still, it's still just because the environment has changed and now there's this wild bacteria on the loose or virus on the loose. Um, we still should be able to, you know, move about the country. And again, I think like we shared earlier, all of this can be more gracefully and elegantly addressed when we get ourselves into a calm, peaceful, curious, compassionate state because nothing will get done from anger and fear. You know, uh, Doug, I, I, um, I keep thinking you, you, you it just, when you said fear, it made me remember back to um, when we did that thing at the breakers, you, you did it. Oh, yeah, the, the arrows right? in the glass. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. The arrows in the glass and they kicked us out because yeah, of the that glass. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great story. Um, but you, you talked in the beginning about fear and how trauma creates fear and what you're actually afraid of is something in the past yep. and doesn't exist in the future. I don't know. You just made me think about that. And it, yep. it made me appreciate that, that entire event that, that you did. When is, have you been continuing to do that same type of event? As much as possible. It's really hard to do over Zoom. You know, I say, hey, go, go yeah. into your liquor cabinet, grab all your liquor bottles, drink them all, then break them, leave them on your floor and walk <laughs> across them. Probably not, uh, you know, the, the best way to do it. No. Um, but that actually that diagram, though, that I use, a little stick figure thing, uh-huh. yeah. I still do that as, okay. as a training, um, yeah. as an introduction to this conversation. Because that's how you re-traumatize yourself. You take the past, throw it into your future, you create a temporal bind, and now you're... you're fight, flight, or fright, or freeze, right? Because you, you can't, your brain doesn't know the difference. So it responds the same way. So we get filled with all of that adrenaline, with all the, you know, the, the, the um, cortisol and all those neurotransmitters and the biochemicals that actually put us physically in that state, which we don't know that our brain then goes, oh, well, we're feeling it anyway. Right, right. Danger must be real. Yeah. Cause yeah. I experience it. So when I turn yeah. on the news, I, and by the way, again, it's like a hologram. It's like the matrix. Like I feel like we're living in the matrix half the time now because we're, we become lost. We get into a trance or have you ever had that in a movie where you watch a movie and you, you know, you just get so involved, you lose track of, of time, space, everything. You just get in, in yeah. Well, same, it's a trance. Same is true with the news. We, we live it. We think it's real. And then because our bodies start getting all filled up, it becomes real for us. And then we could be so impassionate about whatever our position is on it because we're experiencing it real time. And the only thing we know about it is what we got from the news. Right. That's, the, that's our only experience with the actual issue. Right? And, then, and then references. Right. That we have past references, which, by the way, we could find references on either side, which is how people get brainwashed and they get sucked into one channel or another and can be told anything at that point because confirmation bias is going to make it real. That's right. Well, confirmation bias is a real, is a real thing. That's why I bounce around between yeah. 
news channels because I don't want, I want to hear the other side of the story. Now I find myself almost unable to watch most. We, you know, I, I tune in a little bit at night, like just before, not before I go to bed, but like, yeah, before, like I watch comedy if I'm going to watch anything. And then I, I plug yeah. in, I wear headphones when I sleep and I'm listening to personal development, just plugging my brain with spiritual and personal development all night. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll do that flip and it's, it's comical. Yeah, it really is. Well, um, we've covered a lot. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did cover a lot. Um, I, I would love to come down and see you and show up at an event. You're still in West Palm. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. The, the, just South of that the open door. You guys are welcome to come and we don't have, you know, for the whole brood, you'd have some air mattresses. We have the space, but not, we don't have, uh, you know, five extra bedrooms, but, um, right. before, but, uh, we have two, so you're welcome to, uh, to come anytime open door. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'd love to do another event. The thing with the arrow that's still, that, that was pretty intense. Like that's, I did not expect it to break. Like I thought, okay, this is it. Goodbye, cruel world. Well, see, that's a perfect <laughs> example of why we do that. And, and the way I do it is to put you in a state so your brain is, you know, dare I say, thinking it's going to be worse than it is. Yeah. I allow you to do that because I, I want you to have that experience that in life we very often make things worse than they really are in our mind. And then so often when we breakthrough, whatever it is, whether it's building your business, whether it's, you know, apologizing, whether it's asking for that date, whatever it is, that the, the story we tell is very often worse than the experience. So when you have that visceral experience and then you walk across a glass, you walk across a fire, you break the arrow, your brain goes, oh, huh, what else have I been buying that may not be as bad as it, I yeah. think it's going to be? Yeah. What else was I scared about that I shouldn't have been? Yeah. Yeah. What else did I put off doing because I dreaded it so much. And then when I actually got started doing it, uh, it, it actually, I liked it or it at least right. wasn't bad. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm hoping that will happen with all the craziness that's happening right now that someone can just, you know, both sides of the, of the perceived argument can both come in and go, you know, you're not so bad. Yeah. I mean, the, they have to get to that place where they're like, you're not so bad. Cause right now they're like, you suck. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, no one wants to hear it again. It comes back to our own confirmation bias. And oftentimes it's, it's a reflection on how they feel about our, how we feel about ourselves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. More and our own fears. Right. Right. Things that happened in the past, our traumas, you know, the, the, as I, as I kind of mature as a human, I realize that everyone has traumas and that we are, uh, cre we're built by our experiences and in large part, traumatic experiences. Well, if you think about traumas. it for millions of years, until we had the last few hundred where we've had the conveniences of cars and electricity and all of that, we were battling nature. Like it was survival. It was like we were being oppressed right. by the weather. We were being oppressed by like, you know, everything. We didn't have nearly the, the amount of comfort that we've only recently had. So when people start talking about generational oppression, I'm not minimizing the existence of it. I'm just saying as a human race, you know, a few hundred years ago, 
survival was a different story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. It, it reminds me of the, the Croods where the, the dad and the Croods was his motto was never don't be afraid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I yeah. don't know. It's like, it's, I think we have, you know, some institutional fears that have also maybe um, uh, projected um, as well that where everyone yeah. is in some form of fear. Um, and again, confirmation bias and, and references, not minimizing or saying, you know, effed up stuff doesn't happen. It's just that I think that we, if we can all start celebrating what we, what we share more and our similarities, because we're way more similar than we are different. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Hopefully there'll be able to, they'll be able to find some common ground and get get the right heads together to, to solve what's going on right now. Cause, um, something does need to change. Um, and we can't protest forever. Just like we can't be locked down forever. You can't have these protests can't go on. You, you know, if they go on for too long, people will stop caring and then it, they'll lose the, the, you'll, the whole point is gone. Right. Kind of like occupy wall street. Right. Well, you know, and I guess, so, Sometimes like when it's a state management, sometimes some people will say like anger lights a fire for them. Like they, they use anger to motivate them. And while A, I don't believe that's always necessary, that there are other strategies, even if that person that I'm working with that is true for them, living in the anger is not sustainable. Getting no. angry and maybe having that, and even if you're angry at yourself, okay, I got to do something. Okay, cool. You want to use that? Uh, you know, now the question is, how effective are you if you stay in that anger? It's one thing if it gets you to motivate, right? But then if you get pissed off, right, you're pissed off that maybe you're not selling as much. Like you're mad at yourself and I, I got to get pissed off. I get pissed off that I'm not, you know, as productive. Now you go on your sales call and you're still pissed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, not the right time to be pissed gonna off. Work. Yeah, it's just you know, like <laughs> you're gonna buy this from me and be like, eh, no, I don't think you so. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, you just you just lost the sale. Like, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. and that's where the you know the temperance of wisdom and yeah. knowing your outcome and knowing by which we're gonna measure it is gonna be tantamount. Otherwise, we're not gonna get anywhere. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, Doug. Let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know what, while we're ending up here, uh, I put your website, what are some ways people can get in touch with you so that um, they can f learn more about what you do and, and how to potentially do business with you? I think the easiest way is to go to activemarketing.com and, uh, and just pick up the phone and give us a call. And uh, I'll be happy to talk to, to whomever anytime. Excellent. Well, with that being said, thank you so much. Uh, I'll put that in the link. So in the YouTube and the podcast uh, descriptions, that information will be there. Uh, I love you for who you are and who you aren't. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here. And we look forward to serving you even more. Remember... Download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. 
We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.